Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. Well, 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 we have hit a Thursday edition of the Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Hennings producing today's show. You out there. Sixers back in action tonight. Looking forward to it against the Knicks. There might be some positive Sixers news that we have for you right here on this show today. So keep it locked. Devon Gibbons. My man Devon's going to be joining me at 5 o'clock tonight. He covers the Sixers for PHLY. And he'll talk a little Sixers as they return tonight against the Knicks. But could there be some good news on the horizon You'll hear that coming up a little bit later on in the show. Phillies down at spring training getting ready for the spring opener on Saturday. They have announced their starting pitcher for Saturday's game. The first pitcher that you will see. Are you ready? His name is Colby Allard. He will start the Phillies' first spring game, followed by Aaron Nola will pitch game number two. So just like they drew it up in the World Series, Colby Allard gets game one and Nola gets game two. No, Allard actually has a shot to make the team. He's a lefty. They signed from the Braves. Uh, but Philly's spring games start on Saturday. Obviously, uh, Flyers won last night, by the way. 3-1. So they snap a little two-game skiddy skid. And uh, they get back in their winning ways as uh, the Flyers kind of uh, continuing to surprise us, if you will. I mean, at this point... Is it still a surprise? Like, the Flyers are interesting. Like, it happens in the NFL all the time. There's a team that always, like, keeps winning, but you don't believe in them. Like, the Cincinnati Bengals a couple of years ago. They were the team that, like, eh, they're the Bengals. Eh, I can't believe in them. They're the Bengals. I feel like that's where we are with the Flyers. Like, we're like, eh, it's the Flyers. Like, we didn't have any expectations. So, therefore, you're not taking them really seriously. But... They won last night. The Devils lost. So guess what? Philadelphia is now seven up on the Devils in the point column at the Metro. So Flyers uh, in action last night with a win over Chicago, which, by the way, Blackhawks, one of the worst teams in the league. So you need it to get that one. In fact, they might be the worst team in all of the NHL. Point-wise, they are 33 points for Chicago. Flyers beat them last night. So they have uh, a seven-point advantage over the Devils. But... We got to start with obviously what's going on with the Eagles and everything there where, you know, this team is perplexing. We talked about the report yesterday that came out from Derek Gunn, the stuff that Craig Carton said. And look, the, I, the more I thought about this, the more about Nick Sirianni, people are starting to get like, what does he do? How can you still have this guy? How is he coaching this team? You know, I always think about it like this. I know because it's football and it's sports, this is almost foreign to us. But how many of, like, the most talented people in the world 
have someone that's constantly by their side accounting for them. You know, like Ozzy Osbourne is one of the great musicians of our time. His wife, essentially, if he if she doesn't stand by his side, he's biting bats heads off. Like sometimes great people need supervision. And I'm not saying this is acceptable behavior, but let's just not automatically assume because Nick Sirianni has a temper that therefore he can't coach. Right. It's like. Well, he needs Big Dom there, therefore he's not good at his job. I don't think that's fair, right? Look, I'm trying to be objective here. I think it's preposterous that this story is what it is. Like, hey, Big Dom got suspended, and therefore the coach of the football team acted like an idiot. All right, maybe that needs to be addressed. But I do want to say it's not a reason to just write the guy off. So I want to get from you guys out there. You hear the story about... Nick Sirianni yesterday. Big Dom gets uh, suspended for the year, and then that caused rift between Sirianni on the sideline, players and coaches. Derek Gunn reported that basically Dom was the buffer between everybody. And I was like, this is like when the news came out yesterday, when that report came out, I was like, like how childish can you be that you need to have Big Dom there? And then the more I thought about it last night and then this morning, I was like, you know, there are guys – there are very talented people in this world that have somebody constantly with them, right? Everybody, the biggest power brokers you can find, there's somebody behind the reason why they have the success they have. Like, how many people out there just solely act on their own and have nobody that they confide in or talk to or represent the buffer between them and society. Not too many. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you I think Nick Sirianni some beautiful genius out there. But should we give him somewhat the benefit of the doubt? Or is it one of these situations where we're like, look, this guy is a child. His actions are reprehensible. And therefore, he's not qualified to coach the Philadelphia Eagles. I find that you know, like the two sides of the spectrum here, I think there's got to be something in the middle. You know, I go back to this. Unless this guy is Barry Switzer, you can't get to the Super Bowl with being a dumbass. You've got to have some redeeming quality. Now, what I have been yearning to find out in this offseason is what is the redeeming quality that sold Jeffrey Lurie to say, you know what, I'm not going to make a knee-jerk decision. I'm not going to make a rash decision here. And I'm going to give you another shot because I think there's something that you provide to this team that can make us successful. Like, Jeffrey Lurie's not an idiot. And I don't think Jeffrey Lurie has to have so much pride that he can't make the decision of moving on if he thinks it's the right thing to do. He's done it before. Like, that's the thing that's crazy to me. People are like, well, Jeffrey doesn't want to say that he made a mistake with Nick Sirianni. He already made the right decision. Nick Sirianni got you to a Super Bowl. Nobody predicted. Like, you hire Nick Sirianni. No one's like, oh, man, the Eagles hit a home run with this hire. No, you made yourself already look like, hey, we found a guy that nobody had on the radar, and we got him, and he got us to a Super Bowl, and we came up short. But he far... Look, Nick Sirianni, I would have begged to imagine, right? 
I, I can't even imagine that there's one person out there, not one, that thinks that Nick Sirianni hasn't exceeded any expectations you would have had for him. When the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni, nobody out there, nobody listening, I can't imagine, not one person thought this guy is going to take us to the Super Bowl. Am I right? How many people out there thought when Nick Sirianni got hired that the Philadelphia Eagles would have a 667 win percentage under Nick Sirianni? Like, I can't imagine with what happened when Peterson left and where this team was and where it looked like they were going and then who they hired that you thought, this team has won 67% of its games and been to a Super Bowl after firing Doug Peterson and hiring a guy that no one's ever heard of. So Sirianni has clearly exceeded everybody's expectations, right? There's no question about it. The question, I think, is, has he exceeded expectations because... He, like yesterday, we were talking about the question of which Philadelphia Philly can exceed your expectations. Can Sirianni, has he exceeded your expectations? Or is there some other reason why this team has won 67% of its games and went to a Super Bowl? And oh, by the way, made the playoffs all three seasons under Nick Sirianni. Like, I feel like it's the easy thing to do is just, here's this report. Obviously, Sirianni looks like, you know, he's a child and he needs uh, supervision. But is it just the easy thing to do without taking a step back and say, you know what? This guy's exceeded my expectations. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Even if he has a, you know, bad temper or he acts childish on the sidelines sometimes. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. We got some text messages coming in to start things off. But, you know, like yesterday, my knee-jerk reaction was, I mean, this sounds ridiculous. Like, we asked the question, um, Jalen Hurts can't handle the pressure with the court. I don't want to say it that way. That's not really fair. It's just like there was a lot on his plate, maybe, and he wasn't really prepared for what he got himself into by signing that contract. And no one's saying boo-hoo for him. But between the Hertz news and the Sirianni report from Derek Gunn, which one was worse? And we all were like, obviously, the one that's worse is <laughs> Sirianni needing a babysitter on the sideline. But, like, the more I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't sound great. But does that mean that he can't coach? Does that mean that he's ill-prepared to lead a football team? I mean, he got the team to a Super Bowl. He's been to the playoffs three times. Are we at the point of our sports fandom where we always want to blame the coach, but we also don't want to say the team went to the playoffs three times and this guy was the coach of the team and he had some reason for it? That's always the rub, right? That's always the rub. What's the in-between here? John Marks will join me at 3 o'clock today to kind of give us his insight on his thoughts on you know, I want to kind of get it all together here. We're going to tie all the dots. John's really good at kind of thinking outside the box. And you had this Craig Carton, I don't want to say report. I don't even know what it was. He's on the TV the other day, and he's just basically pontificating. I know what happened with the Eagles, and uh, it would splinter many a men. And I'd be surprised if these men were back on the same team again. Okay, what are you getting at here? 
All right. Without basically dropping the bomb, you basically start at the timer. You know, now we need someone to defuse this thing. Is Reacher around to defuse the bomb? Can Reacher defuse bomb? I haven't seen him do that yet. I'm only on episode two. I think you're better off with Jack Bauer defusing a bomb than Reacher on it. So Reacher's not like... Uh, I mean, he, he theoretically could because of his, his military training, but... I would, I would I would probably ask for Jack Bauer before Reacher to defuse the bomb. All right. Well, that's where we are. The, the bomb has a timer on it. it. It's not one of these explosions that's ready to go. But, but Carton got- definitely hit the button and said, all right, you know, it's like uh, the Keanu Reeves with the, when he's on the bus. Speed. Speed. Right? Now we're all on the bus driving. This thing is going. But if you go under a certain uh, amount of miles, miles per hour, blows up. this thing's going to defuse or not defuse. It's going to it's going to blow up. Um, so he doesn't give us the information, and that's where it's like, all right, dude, where are you trying to lead me here? Like, I understand the he thinks he has information, and I'm not saying that he does or doesn't. I don't know. I don't know Craig. I've never met him. Um, I have no idea. Like, are you you're on a TV show that I really doesn't even. I, I'm not downplaying the fact that he has a TV show. I just I don't know when it's on. I didn't know really that it existed. So he says this, and now I know that it exists, but. What do you do with it? I I, I don't know what to do with the information. I'm not like, I think Sirianni 1,000% deserved to say. I said before, if Nick Sirianni made the decision to go to Matt Patricia and the way that that thing blew up in his face, I do think that, yeah, Jeffrey Lurie had a right to say that's a fireable offense. I'm not saying 100% fire the guy, but I wouldn't have been like, you know, that was a bad move. This guy took you to a Super Bowl and went to the playoffs three times. What are you doing? I'd say no. You had some really bad judgment. Uh, I think that was fireable. Like, that, to me, yeah, I could have justified it. So I'm not sitting here trying to stick up for uh, Sirianni and say this was preposterous to even decide or have to make a decision on his future. But I also don't think that it's 100% that he should have been fired. I'm kind of like, it's almost like when he got hired. I wasn't like, what are you doing? I wasn't like, this is the greatest hire. I wasn't like, this is an awful hire. I was just kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. And that's kind of how I feel with where it stands now. I don't know what to do with Sirianni. Again, I'm not claiming to have a full understanding of what his strengths and weaknesses are. If I listen to Jason Kelsey and Shane Steichen and others, I would feel that he's a very good leader who is someone that the players respect. Fine. Uh, If that's my head coach, sign me up. I'll take that guy, right? But he doesn't call plays. He doesn't really, you know, have a – well, maybe he does have a big hand in the offense. It's his offense, but he doesn't call the plays. It's just, hey, here's my offense. You call them for me. What a weird situation. what, What is that? It's like someone who writes a song for somebody who can't, like, you can't sing, so you sing my song. That does happen a lot. It does right? happen. I'm saying it does happen a lot, but in, in this case, it never happens. Who designs an offense and then doesn't call the plays? I don't know. Maybe this should happen more often then. Jeff I mean, at Ocean City <laughs> says, Mike, I never felt the Eagles should have brought Sirianni back. It was the greatest Eagles collapse since Laurie first year. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong, Jeff. Like, if your feeling was, look, I, they shouldn't have brought him back, I can't sit here and say that you're absolutely wrong. Um, I'm just trying to say, let's just not say because Big Dom wasn't there and Nick maybe strayed. I don't think that that's a reason. That's all I'm saying. I think that's where I'm at is 
I know it's easy to say, oh, my God, you are unqualified or you can't coach the team if you need a babysitter. And I don't think that's really the case. But the problem to me, Mike, is that it's the it's the compilation of the last few That'd be years. A compilation? Yes, compilation. Thank you. Of the last few years where it's like the introductory press conference where it was so bad and it was so awkward. And then the whole halfway through the first year, I'm giving up the play calling duties. And then you have this massive roller coaster high where you go to the Super Bowl and you almost have a chance to win it. And then you you have the next season where, you know, we all made fun of him because of the flowers, but then the players were you know, playing into the joke, right? And, and it's like day, you know, year by year, week by week, and it feels like every time something weird happens, but then there's some redeeming quality with it. And now you get the end of this season, and we're trying to find the redeeming quality, Here, and then this report comes out. Here's what I want to ask people. When you're putting all this together, do you look back at the Super Bowl and say, if the Eagles had a different head coach, they would have won that game? No. Because I don't, I don't think it was Sirianni's fault they lost. I think the the L goes on his record, but I think it was a team loss. I don't think it was an individual loss. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the team went to the Super Bowl, and let's be honest, a lot of that year, 2022, the Eagles were like in the first seed, and all year long we heard, well, their schedule's really easy. They're not really playing anybody. This is like, I was thinking about this last night, okay? As I'm thinking about, like, putting this show together today. So, in 2022, nobody believed in this team. Ah, they got an easy schedule. Ah, you really haven't beaten anybody. Then they get to the Super Bowl and they lose. They really, you know, they have the lead in that game. Hurts fumbles. Um, Watkins has the drop. I mean, they're in that game. They're in that game. And your quarterback played at such a high level that you could have won that game. But nobody throughout the 17-game season, very few people, Giant fan, Cowboy fan, NFL fan, they looked at the Eagles and they said, I don't know, this team hasn't beaten anybody. So in 2022, nobody really believed in them, yet they got to the Super Bowl. And then in 2023, we're talking about a team that we think was an epic collapse and an epic failure. So you know what I'm like. You hear what I'm saying here? Yeah. It's like in 2022, you went to the Super Bowl, but I didn't really believe Wait, how in do you. you. How do you rectify both of those happening? I don't think anybody has brought that up. Is it in 2022 you were an anomaly? You, you played a weak schedule, and that's why you made the Super Bowl. Yet in 2023, you were an absolute failure. Now, the last six weeks of the season were an absolute failure, right? But it's interesting, like because this is where the Sirianni thing gets convoluted for me. I I, I don't know. What role he had in helping them get to a Super Bowl. But isn't it also the question of how much responsibility do you put in for who in these situations? Because, as you said, because Sirianni doesn't call the plays, because there's always been these ambiguous questions about, you know, what exactly is he doing and what his impact is on this team. When you have these questions that you're asking, you're trying to decipher well, how much of an influence does he have on these? I things? don't know. And Cole and LBI brings up an interesting point. And I and this is where, you know, I love Cole as a text message. Uh, he texts the show almost every day, and I always enjoy him. He says, Mike, I love your objectiveness. It's part of the reason I listen to the show, even though I'm a New York fan. But I think you're way too objective with Sirianni. He says, I think any coach in the league would have made a deep playoff run with the 2022 Eagles. Now, it's funny you say that. 
I just outlined that you're saying any coach would have made a deep playoff run in 2022 with that Eagles. But how many people that year said the Eagles aren't any good? They're only winning because they played a weak schedule. They haven't beaten anybody. That was the narrative essentially the entire 2022 season. I mean, the Eagles are out and running away from people and you're like, ah, they haven't beaten anybody yet. And I kept saying, well, there's nobody to beat. In 2022, there was just no like clear cut front running team, but the narrative was, well, the Eagles haven't beaten anybody. So you're saying any coach would have made a deep playoff run with the 2022 Eagles. I'm not so sure that people agree with you there. Now, he's saying the team had the best O-line, wide receiver, tight end, defensive combo. The defense had 70 sacks, and the offensive line didn't miss a game. But how much of that does Nick Sirianni have, you know, okay, they have the best offensive line. You might say that's Stoutland. How much of that is the wide receivers? Well, what did Britton Covey tell us at the Super Bowl? How great Sirianni is working with the wide receivers. Now, A.J. Brown's a tremendous talent. So is Smith. But do we say that Sirianni has no effect on those guys? Okay, fine. I'll play along. He has no role in the wide receivers having big years. They're just uberly talented no matter what whether Sirianni was here or not. Fine. I'll play along. The defensive combo. Now, I'm not suggesting that Sirianni has anything to do with the defensive stuff because he really doesn't. But how many people hated Gannon? He was an idiot, right? So it's a, it's a, but Cole, you see what I'm saying here? Like you might say any coach would have made a deep run with the 2022 Eagles, but I remember that year vividly of people saying, well, they haven't beaten anybody. Yeah, this seems not any good. They haven't beaten anybody. And then they get to the Super Bowl and really should have won that game. And then I ask the question, well, did they not win it because of Sirianni? Was he the reason they didn't win the game? So I, I think there's so much here to kind of peel the onion off and say, I don't know what to think, man. And all I know is this. As much as it would be easy to say that this whole thing with Dom getting suspended and that looks bad on Sirianni, and I think it does look bad on Sirianni. I certainly can observe that. I also... Don't say, well, you can't not coach because of that. Yeah. I don't want to say that he's a failure because of that reason. But obviously that reason didn't play enough for Jeffrey Lurie to say you're gone. And I do think Jeffrey Lurie does have precedence of he thought it was time to move on from Chip Kelly and he got rid of him after three seasons. He said, I'm not waiting anymore. I've made my decision on you. Right, he didn't even wait to the end of the season. He got rid of him before the end of the season because the locker room was so toxic. And the Coles question, Mike, football history does have examples of just because you take one coach and put another one in doesn't mean you're going to win. For example, the Colts won a Super Bowl with Tony Dungy. A few years later, they got there with Jim Caldwell, but they didn't win it. You know, remember, Rich Kotite, he won it first in Philadelphia, and then everything completely collapsed. At the end, because he wasn't the right coach. And guess what? Remember Bill Callahan? He went to the Super Bowl with the Raiders. Well, they lost to John Gruden on the other sideline. So football history has plenty more examples than that of just because you take one coach in and put another one in 
doesn't automatically mean you're going to win. Well, and I can see the people out there yelling at the radio already saying Gruden took over for Dungy. Dungy couldn't get him over the top. Gruden took the Tampa Bay players. Sure. So, yes, it can go both ways Yeah, here. John Fox couldn't win with the Broncos in his rule, but Greg, uh, Gary Kubiak did. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. I got a lot of text messages coming in here. Do you guys look at that stuff on Big Dom and Sirianni? That one's the one that I kind of think is more interesting. I mean, the Jalen Hurts stuff, look, I think, you know, maybe he had too much too fast and and yada, yada. But I think a lot of people were looking at the Sirianni portion of this and saying, that's a problem. Do you guys look at it as a problem? 609-403-0973. More Sports Bash. Your text messages. I'll read and react. Coming up next. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. 2.30 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. John Marks from John Marks Media at 3 o'clock. Devon Givens tonight, football at 4. Nikki Earnshaw's in the house with our debut edition of Nick's Nuggets. That's at 4.30 today. Couple text messages, 609-403-0973. Mike, do you think Kellen Moore will be able to withstand angry Nick? <laughs> Never seen Kellen get mad. Uh, yeah, I think Kellen Moore will be fine. Um, yeah, he, he went to Boise State. He's, he's very, what is Boise State? Like, that's not a Midwest. That's like what? What, what, what would that be classified? Like, Northwest. Like, a, yeah, but like, like people like Midwesterners, like, are always like, you know, it's a little slower, a little bit more, you know, uh, at a different pace, but like Boise's even like another pace. Uh, very rural. Can we call <laughs> Montana, Wyoming. Yeah, that, yeah, that's like, you know, I, you've never seen the show Yellowstone, but like, that's those kind of people, you know, the people from Yellowstone. Yeah. Um, do I think Kellen will be able to handle him? Sure. I think he'll be fine. I think Kellen Moore also, he, for those who don't know, Kellen Moore's been around a lot of different types of coaches in his life, from, you know, Chris Peterson at Boise State to Scott Lenahan to Mike McCarthy to Jason Garrett. Like, he's been around a lot of different people. I mean, if he put up with Brandon Staley for a year, I think he'll be fine with Nick Sirianni. Uh, Ryan in Little Egg Harbor says, if Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt in the NFC Championship game and say the Niners go on to win and the Eagles go on this year to have the year they did with an epic collapse, do you think he keeps his job as coach? I don't. Uh, it's a fair question, Ryan. Like, they would have been to a playoff three straight years, but one of the years would not have been a Super Bowl appearance. It would have been an NFC Championship game outing. I don't know. Like, what was the Eagles' organizational goal for two years ago? Did they think they were a Super Bowl team? Like, internally, did they say, we've got a Super Bowl team here? You know, coming off the year... Where they went, what, nine and eight? They lost to Tampa Bay in the wild card round. Right. Did they come back and say, we think we're a Super Bowl team? I don't know. Maybe they did. I know the fans didn't think that. I don't think fans were like, oh man, 
this is a Super Bowl-level team. And the fact that they got to the Super Bowl was a surprise to many people. Like, again, all year long, the narrative was they didn't beat anybody. Like, And then all of a sudden, they're in the Super Bowl, and then they lose. And then last year, they jump out to this 10-1, and and you're like, this is the best team in the league. Yeah, that was based on they got to the Super Bowl the year before. So then you were buying that they were the best team in the league. So then were they just overachievers in 2022? I don't know. Um, it's hard because football, you are a product a lot of times of your schedule. Mm-hmm. And you could say, all right, the Eagles didn't really have a quality signature win in 2022. Last year they did. They beat Kansas City. They beat Buffalo. They beat Miami. They beat Dallas. You know, that's a bunch of teams right there that all, you know, two of those teams, Kansas City and Buffalo, went to the AFC Championship game. And you beat both of them, one on the road. So they had quality wins this year. So bizarre, it adds to the bizarreness of the whole situation. 609-403-0973. PJ and Little Egg Harbor says, Carton is a known Eagles hater. Dude has been anti-Philly since at least 2022. Well, that's not too long ago. <laughs> I mean, that's only two years ago. Um, I can't say he doesn't actually know something, but, quote, I know what happened, but I'm not telling you, quote, is very poor journalism. I'd venture to bet he's talking out of you-know-what. I would also argue that I don't think Carton thinks he's a journalist. I think Carton thinks that he is a on-air personality. So I don't think he cares about, you know, looking a certain way for journalism. I think he's just trying to do his job to the best he can and get attention. Maybe. I mean, I don't think you go wildly saying something to that effect if you're just... There's a difference between trying to get attention and saying something that is completely false to get attention. Right. I mean, that is why I don't want to discount it completely and say the guy's completely making something up. I don't have any reason to believe he's making it up. Now, I didn't know this. Now, I was on with McMullen and Jody Mack on Wednesday. And Jody had said something that I was not aware of, that apparently Craig was an Eagles beat guy and was a very good reporter for years. So he does have that reporting background. background. But my question is, okay, well, what connections still 20 years later, you know, you're talking about the 90s, right? does he have to the Eagles locker I mean, room? Yeah, it's a totally different world back then. Yeah, I mean, but my, I guess his point is, that he does have a journalism background and that he knows not to just wildly say something that is so ludicrously false. Again, sure. I'm not completely discounting what he said as it's so false because he's trying to get attention and clicks. Yeah, I just I don't know where where we fit him into the hierarchy because, you know, like a guy like Derek Gunn, like, you know, I had a conversation with Dave Weinberg last night. You know, Dave Weinberg covered the team for a long time. And, you know, Weinberg was like, look, Derek Gunn is one of the best out there at this. You know, he's like, Derek Gunn's not putting something out there for attention or clicks or anything. So, you know, it's well known that Derek Gunn has a certain reputation. And so, like, to me, like, where does Craig Carden fall down the hierarchy of, you know, hey, if this guy says something, we believe it. You know what I mean? I don't know where he falls because... I don't view I just him think as a reporter. Ve- I, I think the vagueness of it was the problem that I have. It's like, okay, if you have something, you know, if it's if you see something, say something. And it's almost like 
I have something, but I don't want to say it, but I'm just going to put it out there, and then you can do what you want with it. And then you got the dog chasing his tail, and it's almost like, well, you got to come back tomorrow and see if I bring it up again, which, to my knowledge, he has not. No. Now, he did retweet the Derek Gunn report, you know, so read into that what you will. So that's... And I asked Mosher this yesterday, and, and, you know, Mosher said, look, I I don't really want to even go down that road. And I said, do you think what Carton said and Gunn's report have anything to do with one another? Like, are they tied to that what he's basically saying hurts? See, I don't see where the connection would be, though, unless you're telling me the splintering of men was between Hertz and Sirianni. I think we all just assume it was two players. That's true. The the assumption. Anybody, but by the way, has anybody found any better audio of the what he said? The, the audio that Crossing Broad had was was terrible, and I'm not blaming them. I just I have not seen any audio of Carton what he said. I only saw the crossing broad. Well, can you look to see if there's any better audio? That, that's my point. You only saw the crossing broad. You would say, this audio is unusable. Can I find better audio? Because it's unplayable to hear what he said. Like, that's what I'm saying. Has anybody, have you taken the time to say, well, this is unaudible, inaudible. I can't use this for air. I got to find better audio. I can look again on Twitter to see if there's anything new. Yeah, because I have not done the digging on to see if there's anything audio because like some people probably say i have no idea what you're talking about um with with this craig carton audio but put it this way the audio was grainy but it was on television so people have heard it and then it got to the point where um adam schefter basically commented on it and it became a he said, she said between Schefter somewhat behind the scenes uh, and Craig Carton. Now, they obviously work for two separate entities, one for Fox Sports, the other one for ESPN. One is a information gatherer in Adam Schefter, and Craig Carton is basically a hot take artist. So that is why it's like, well, I believe Schefter and I don't believe Craig Carton in this situation. 609-403-0973. A couple more text messages. Uh, Mike, Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl because he kept his foot on the gas. Doug went for it on fourth down in the second half. Nick punted. Uh, Okay. Well, look, Peterson won the Super Bowl, and he'll never take that away. Uh, His team this year also had an epic meltdown. And Doug, I don't think, did the greatest job post-Super Bowl. When he did keep his foot on the gas, they won the Super Bowl. I think in the years after that, he was a little different coach. I don't think he was the same aggressive guy in the years post-Super Bowl. And in Jacksonville, where last year they made the playoffs and were a fun team, they were the Eagles of the AFC this year. For the most part, were they not? Is that fair or unfair to say? Jacksonville was way out in front in the AFC South, and they didn't even end up making the playoffs. I think they went 1-6 and six in their last seven games or 1-5 in their last six, Jeff. So I get it. Peterson was great in the Super Bowl year, but because you're great one year doesn't necessarily mean um, that those traits have stayed with you. And I don't, I don't know that those traits stayed with Doug, that he was the aggressive fourth down. I'm, I'm gonna, I think that year he just pulled all the right strings. Uh, more text message. Evan and Linwood. 
Mike Sirianni's the problem. If he needs Big Dom to restrain him, then he clearly does not have the emotional capacity to control the locker room. He must go. See, I don't agree with that, Evan. Like, I think the locker room, I think the reason why Sirianni is still here is because he does have the emotional capacity to control the locker room and that the locker room does stand up for Nick. That's why I think he's still here. You know, I, I like I said before, there's a lot of people who are very successful, but they need somebody to be there for them. You know, you have very successful businessmen who go out party wildly and they need that other guy to say, all right, man, you need to calm down. You're spending money at such a clip that you can't you can't keep up at this pace. You've got musicians, you know, I said Ozzy Osbourne's eating bats on stage when his wife's not with him. When his wife's with him, you would think he's like the nicest man in the world. Oh, let's get some tea. Right. You know, like if his wife's there, he's a nice guy. If he's on stage, he's eating bats heads off. So some people. Do need some sort of uh you know supervision there. 609-403-0973. I, I just wonder if we're and somebody said, Mike, you're objective, but you're too objective about Sirianni. Look, I have no problem if somebody clearly states to me, hey, look, the Dom thing isn't a reason enough for me to say you gotta fire him. That's a fireable offense. That's all. How about you guys? 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Phil says, Mike, I know this is off topic, but I firmly believe teams should have a sports psychologist available to all members of the team, players, and coaches. I don't want to assume, but the Eagles case, it sounds if Sirianni hurts, AJ, and others could have used some professional guidance. I'll stop right there for a second. I don't know that every team doesn't have a sports psychologist on staff. I, I can't confirm or deny. I don't know that, but you're right. I think in the world that we live in now, um, that, that is probably would be good to have somebody who has an office that you could sit down and, and chat with at any time and just say, hey, I need someone that I can kind of trust and lean on. Um, and in this situation, you know, Jalen Hurts, to tie it to what happened, the reporting with, with him, um, you had a kid who made a lot of money and was being pulled in 50 different directions and really had trouble handling it. Uh, Mike Craig Carton got sued for Lindros hungover story years ago when he worked at WIP. Yeah, I worked at WIP at that time. I do remember that. But a couple of years down the road, it was proven that Carton was right. I believe anyway. I, I think that was, was that he got fired because Ed Snyder was going to sue the radio station and it came out down the road that he was actually right about the story. 609-403-0973. More text messages coming up. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill here telling you about my friends over at Key Acker of Atlantic City. Yeah, that's Rocco and the guys over there now through February 29th. You got about a week left to get in on this deal. You got a 2024 Acura Integra lease for just $369 a month or a 2024 MDX lease for $489 a month. Either way, very affordable for a great car, the Acura Integra, the MDX. Stop in and see Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Tilt Road and EHT, the small but friendly dealer, online at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Dot com Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. A lot of text messages today. We appreciate them all. Nick in South Jersey says, any head coach when going, when the good, when the going is good, flies up and down like eagles on the sidelines and can't control himself when the chips are down um, and show more respect to the other teams and can't control his team when the chips are down needs to be replaced. Yeah, but, okay, Nick, I can see what you're saying. I, I would ask the question, do you do it immediately or do you say, hey, listen, you got to learn from your mistakes? Or do we just want to live in a knee-jerk society? Is like, hey, you didn't act well the one time the chips were down. Next time, let's learn from that. Or do you just say, you didn't act well when the chips were down, you're fired? Because there were good times. Now, you might say, yeah, but during the good times, he didn't act well either. Okay, I'll play along with that. That's fine. Look, I, again, I can be sold on either side. I could certainly be sold on either side of the coin here that Nick has credentials to stay the coach or that there's just too much here. And this big Dom story from yesterday puts me over the top to say he's got to go. 609-403-0973. Uh, John Marks in nine minutes will... Uh, Continue this conversation. We'll have some more fun with him as well on the Eagles. Uh, Sixers second half. I told you earlier in the show, by the way, on the Sixers second half, Nick Nurse speaking on the possibility of Joel Embiid's returning, uh, return to the lineup. You'll hear about that coming up uh, a little bit later on in the show. But, you know, one of the things with Nick Sirianni that I think definitely, look, I have to imagine there was some time between the end of the season and when they finally met with Nick. Now, I know Lori was on, like, a boat somewhere and whatever. I have to imagine, after they lost that Monday night football game and the time they met with Nick Sirianni to go over his future, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lori talked to Jalen Hurts, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. The leaders of that team, the most important voices in that locker room. Guys, what happened and what should we do with Nick? If they said, Mr. Lurie, we got to move on from Nick. We got a problem. Don't you think they would take that into high account and say, our guys can't play for this guy? I mean, are we so obtuse to think that's not a possibility? I can't imagine 
they went sight unseen and talked to Nick Sirianni and just said, Nick, whatever you got for us, we're ready to listen. Hit us. Lay it on me, string bean. What do you got? And Nick basically says what? And that saves his job? I can't, I can't, I can't get with that. I have to imagine the circle of trust of players would include Jalen Hurts and Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and the guys I just mentioned. And they have to be the guys that say, look, coach, I mean, uh, Mr. Laurie, we can play for coach. We, we want to play for coach. If they're not universally together on this, I think just Mr. Laurie has had a track record to say, we're going to move on. Fired Doug Peterson because they didn't see eye to eye. He got rid of Chip Kelly because they didn't see on, they weren't on the same page at all. So I don't think that Jeffrey Lurie is so stubborn to say, I can't fire Nick, even if my players don't want him here. He knows what would happen if he brought the coach back and the players weren't on board with that. So that's what smells a little fishy to me. Or maybe they were that up too, so they didn't ask any of the players on the team. I find that hard to believe. What does John Marks think? John Marks Media joins me on the other side here on the Sports Bash Live. 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app will get his thoughts on does he find any validity in this Craig Carton audio and report, if you will. We'll get his thoughts on that, plus the Sixers getting ready to start the second half of the season. That's tonight right here against the Knicks on 97.3 ESPN. So stick around for John Marks. We'll get into that and some more. We'll have some fun with him. Devon Givens tonight from PHLY. Going to join me to talk some Sixers. Nikki Earnshaw's first, the debut of Nick's Nuggets coming up today. Uh, Nick will be joining us. You hear Nick on the weekend locker room. He'll be joining us on Thursdays and Fridays and Mondays here on the Sports Bash. City. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. All right, 3 o'clock hour Sports Bash. It's brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning, your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. 609-390-3907. Visit them online at broadleys.net. John Marks from John Marks Media. Going to join us in just a second here to kind of give us his thoughts on all stuff that's going on right now, this Eagles team, you know, one of the best part about the Eagles offseason is the drama that generally comes with it, right? We love the drama. We love being a part of that and kind of pontificating our own thoughts. So two days ago, we had Craig Carton come out basically and say, hey, this will splinter men. There will be changes. Somebody's got to go. And we're all supposed to be like, well, who is that? What is he talking about? And then yesterday, it was essentially reported by Derek Gunn that, uh, you know, um, there was some situations between Big Dom getting, (laughs) this is unbelievable, by the way, Big Dom getting suspended that then had Nick Sirianni acting out on the sideline. So all of this comes to head, and then Carton today basically is saying, what are the Eagles even saying? I never even said anything. So John Marks of John Marks Media is here to kind of give us his (laughs) exhortation on what has happened over the last 48 hours with this team and the head coach and Big Dom, who has now become a central figure in the Eagles' offseason. 
I don't know. I don't know what's more bizarre or the most bizarre thing with it, right? I guess the big dom, because do you know Derek Gunn's info solid? I'm not going to speculate who his sources are, but you know he's not making it up. So somebody actually told him that everything fell apart when Dom got hurt. Probably a player. Probably, Dom didn't get uh, hurt. Dom didn't get hurt. He got suspended. Or I guess, or I guess suspended. <laughs> like Dom Sorry, was playing and had a, uh, a bad ankle and was on the, the IR. Well, Mike, listen, they don't need a – when Jalen Hurts' contract's up or they want to cut him, they don't need a new quarterback. They just need Dom <laughs> on the sidelines to do everything, right? How much speculation hey. happened, though, like in jest? Like, oh, maybe it was Big Dom calling the plays. And here we are now, like, maybe Big Dom had more to do with this than uh, than we really thought. Well, the offense did suffer once Dom was was out of there. So yeah, maybe he maybe he had he was the secret ingredient that we didn't know. I mean, it's ridiculous, and it shows you what happens in the city when the Eagles don't win. Look what happens when the Eagles don't win. It's it's always something, and it's something wild, right? So that's the Dom thing. If there, someone's really saying the Sirianni fell apart and he can't control himself because Dom stops him from fighting with players and coaches. We got a major problem on our hands here, right? Um, I, I, it, it's that's unbelievable to me. The I don't know. I tried to be. Ob- I, that. I tried to be objective about it and be like, "All right, listen. There are very <laughs> successful people that have handlers that keep them in line. Like when Ozzy Osbourne's wife is around, he's a normal dude. When she's not around, he's eating bats' heads. Like that's a different. <laughs> that's a different dude when he doesn't have someone there. And there's many people like that that have that person. Like, hey, you're spending too much money. You know, it's getting out of control like there's some people need that person there i don't know if it's to that extent but like is it a fireable offense to say that your italian uh attitude comes out too much if you don't have a babysitter uh it's gonna be a fireable offense if they don't win 11 12 games this year and win a couple playoff games it's i mean isn't the writing on the wall and there's so much to talk about with all this nonsense but isn't the writing on the wall that if they don't get back to at least – all right, let's say that they – and the devil's always in the details. But let's say that they have another year. They win enough games to make the playoffs. But ultimately, like, they're they're, they're not a top team in the NFC. I don't know if Sir, Sirianni survives it. Um, I also wonder, at the beginning of the season, if they come out and this team doesn't respond and they look more like they did at the end of the year than the beginning of the year, does, does he even make it through the year? I don't know, man. When when a team and I don't ever say players quit because that's like saying they weren't trying at all. But when players are going through the motions and games that they need to win to win the division at the end of the season, these guys were going through the motions. They didn't believe they could win anything. They didn't seem to care to believe that they could win anything. So that's the Sirianni portion to it. As far as the Craig Carton thing. Everybody's focusing on the unprofessional way that Craig Carton presented what he was saying, which is was unprofessional. He's not a reporter, right? Like he's not a he's not a respected journalist. He's doing what a lot of people on TV do, which is bring up things in an unconventional way. Now, I disagreed with how he led you to believe that there was something salacious going on, like there was someone was sleeping with somebody's wife or girlfriend, but not saying it. But, like, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on the fact 
that he seems to know something's going on that he says isn't repairable in the locker room. Because Adam Schefter can say, well, I texted the Eagles and they said none of that, none of that stuff happened. All right. Well, did you take, did you report and actually follow up and maybe try to talk to a player or talk to an assistant coach or talk to an agent? Somebody that knows what's going on in the inside that can maybe give you an idea if something is, is irreparable. I mean, Craig Carton, what he did, Eagles fans are mad at him because it seems unprofessional. He went to prison and he had the Lindros stuff before. But pay attention to what he said, which is there's major issues in the locker room and he doesn't believe it can be repaired. Yeah, and like that whole thing, it's like he kind of like, I said like he hit the timer on the bomb and then said, all right, figure out how to <laughs> detonate it. And like everyone's like, how do we pull the blue or, or red wire here? I don't know which one. And he's laughing at everybody like, I'm telling you. And then Derek Gunn, who, as you mentioned, a very well respect the guy throws out this little nugget and it's like well are these connected like can we put the dots together like all right Jalen got paid a lot of money and then he was asked to be on like this commercial that commercial and maybe it was just too much for him and then the serial like it doesn't seem that there's any connection to what's happening here does there do you feel like there's a connection of the dots of like gun stuff and carton speculation uh, I'd say I think I think Derek reaches out after the carton stuff comes out. In fact, you know that's what happened. And again, probably someone because Derek hasn't been around the team daily in a number of years, so he probably. And I know that he has sources in that organization and locker room that trust him that know that he's going to say something. But like the Jalen, the Jalen portion of what what D Gun tweeted was, I, I don't want to say that like. It, it's almost understandable. We've seen it happen before. Player gets first new contract. Player gets $250 million. Player goes from, hey, can he can he be a starting quarterback in this league to, holy crap, he's an MVP and almost won the Super Bowl, right? Like, did it get to his head? Was he pulled in too many directions? Like, did he change a little bit? This has happened to many players before, so none of that would surprise me. And by the way, like, it's forgivable. I think Jalen can learn from those type of mistakes. Um, so that that part of it is fine. The Dom part just blew my mind. But it also, like, I'm sure that, like, just with D-Gun saying about Jalen, maybe he did piss some guys off in the locker room. Maybe guys were saying, like, like, why won't he talk to anybody on the bench? Like, why is he so mad? Why is he standoffish? Why is he not approachable? Jalen Hurts was not approachable. At least that's the way I saw it. Every camera shot I saw of him on the sidelines, there's no one sitting there and talking to him. He wasn't going up and talking to everybody else. And even though he may not realize that that's a problem, when you start losing games, it goes from being, oh, he's so focused and he's so businesslike yep. to going yep. – Hey, that guy's that guy's a real jerk, and I don't, he don't want to talk to us, and I don't want to talk to him. Uh, John Mark, John Mark's media on the YouTube channel tonight at nine o'clock every night. Nine o'clock, you can uh, hear some more. Now, Sirianni stuff. This one's bizarre to me because, like, all right, they fire Peterson. Nobody's like, you got to hire Nick Sirianni. He's the guy. The Eagles hire this guy. No one's like, they they made the right hire. Three years later, the guy's won 67% of his games. He's been to the playoffs three times. He went to a Super Bowl. He has far exceeded anyone's expectations. Yet, we're unsure of what role he has played in this team's success. Like, 2022, I don't know what kind of calls you took, but all of the feedback we would get is, 
Well, the Eagles haven't beaten anybody. Ah, I can't take them serious. They don't have, they haven't beaten anybody. So what were the expectations? Did he exceed expectations in 2022 to get them to a Super Bowl? And then last year, they're 10 and 1. Did they exceed expectations based on no one believed it? I don't know what to think his role is, but I would have to say, John, Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman had to have said to Jalen Hurts, Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Scott, do you guys believe in this guy or should we let him go? Or did they just go in and do what they wanted to do? I mean, I, I would I would almost guarantee that he spoke to the veteran guys on the team, Jeffrey Lurie. Anybody that has a direct line to Jeffrey Lurie, I'm sure Jeffrey Lurie spoke to. Because that's what I would do. That's what you would do. You know that's what Jeffrey Lurie's going to do. See, I, I, think, I think the guys like Nick. And when you ask the question, like, how do you go from – he was had hit an historic record. Like this team was historically good over the two seasons. I remember saying on the air, "I don't know how to handle this type of success. This doesn't happen to us in Philadelphia." Being Eagles fans, the hell is this? And then we got back to being Eagles fans pretty quick with the last half of the season. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't see, I don't know because you give me, you give me the comp, Mike, where an offensive head coach. He lost his play. He lost the play calling, and you can say that he gave it up. And Shane Steichen came in and he took it. That's still fine. It was still his offense. They're, he's not going to have his offense anymore. They're literally bringing in an outside offensive coordinator. They couldn't get a head coaching job because the offense was so bad last year, and the Eagles don't trust Nick Sirianni to fix it. So, so Sirianni like is essentially the lady that works at the front desk that you feel warm and fuzzy about warm, walking in every morning. You're like, hey, Pam, good to see ya. And then, like, that's his role now is he's she, she, he's the secretary at the front desk? Well, and ask her to do something. <laughs> and she's like, well, I don't know. I got to no, talk no, 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 no. I don't know what to do. I don't do. know about the lady at your front <laughs> desk, but that's the lady you go to. Like, do you have any ibuprofen today? Do you have any medicine for me? Like, you know she uh, has everything. She has all the answers. Well, you can make the case that Nick Sirianni through through eleven games this season was that person. Guys played for him. It's, it's what I what I always said was all right. I know it's not his offense, but they he has good decision making. They're not out of timeouts at the end of half. Like he managed the game well. He did. This wasn't an Andy Reid thing where you're in the fourth quarter and you have no timeouts left because there's trouble. Like managed the game well. Guys played for him and guys responded. Yeah. So, like, that's all I focused on was, like, listen, I, I they didn't bring him in for his offensive genius. This isn't Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan. But when guys play for you and they respond and you manage the game well, that's fine with me. The managing the game stuff still happens relatively well, but guys just guys just unplugged, man. See, the, it's the, crazy. the turning point of, like, a, some decision. Like, at first, I'm like, I don't know what to think of this guy. Like, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Fine. They're two and five. And then he is cognizant enough to be like, I can't call the plays. Let someone else do it. And we don't have the talent to do what I want to do. Let's just run the ball. They got to the playoffs by making a shift. And I said, you know what? I give this guy a lot of credit for, like, and there were some reports that year that Lori wanted to pass the ball more, and he wasn't happy that they won the game at Green Bay by running so much. So Sirianni says, "The hell with all that. We're going to run the ball. He ran them to the playoffs. So I was like, all right, I got to give this guy some credit. So I don't remember a specific game or moment where I'm like, this guy cost them a game. And that's why I'm so like, 
this whole thing is so bizarre to me. Like, I, I can't be like, the only thing I would say, John, is if he made the decision to fire Desai and replace it with Patricia at that moment, and that blows up in your face the way that it did, fine, that's a fireball defense. You made a really poor judgment at that moment in time. But that's the only thing I can really wrap my head around to say you were unqualified to lead a team based on that one decision. Anything else, I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, and remember when? Remember when it, it used to be like, oh, uh, was was that Chip's draft pick? Was that Howie's draft pick? Was that Joe Banner's <laughs> draft pick? Was that Andy Reid's draft pick? You never really knew yeah. because there were too many too many people involved, right? So I felt the same way with the, with the Sean Desai situation. First of all, is Nick Sirianni really the one deciding to hire Sean Desai? I mean, Howie Roseman hired Jim Schwartz before he hired Doug Peterson. Howie doesn't seem like the type of guy that is allowing Nick without holding his hand to to hire a defensive coordinator. Now, I've I've heard and I've been told that, you know, we knew that they wanted to hire Fangio. Desai is, is a Fangio disciple. Yep. That's the type of defense they want to run. This is an organizational decision. This is the kind of defense that the Eagles want to run. Not Nick Sirianni. The Eagles want to run. So they're out there and they're they're targeting coordinators that want to do it. Now, as far as Desai being fired, I mean, who who wanted Matt Patricia in here this year? Is that Nick or was that Howie Roseman that said, hey, we're not sure about Desai. He doesn't have a lot of experience. The one year he was a coordinator, he wasn't very good. So let's bring in, uh, let's bring in a Matt Patricia just to be there in case something happens. I, I would lean that this was more of a Howie Roseman type thing and Nick knows that he has to publicly go out and say this was my decision this was my hire I, I decided to fire him because if Howie says yeah it was my decision you know what the re- reaction to that is going to be absolutely it's going to be a total bleep storm so I believe it was Howie for sure I although the day that they sat next to each other now apparently they're going to talk on Tuesday both of them I don't know about together one after the other I think but when they sat down at the end of the year and talked together that Nick had to sit there and have Howie say, oh, that was Nick's decision. I don't know how you keep a straight face if you, in fact, know you were the one that forced him to do it. That takes a level of talent. Like, you've been talking a lot about these guys that do the debate shows. Like, that's their job, and it's like a show, and it's a performance. Roseman's got to go up there and just <laughs> make Nick just shovel it. I mean, take this, buddy, because we know if it's, in fact, a a lie what they're trying to tell us up there that Nick actually was the one. I don't know what to think on that. See, I, I would think that, that Howie's like, Hey, uh, what do you think? And, and Nick more or less is like, yeah, okay. Like he's supporting the decision. Nick Sirianni's making a lot of money to be the Eagles head coach. And if he wants to continue to be the Eagles head coach, you got to be in, on the same page with with ownership and with management. The old days of Norman Brayman and Buddy Ryan, and you know, like fighting within the coach and the and the ownership and the GM, that'll get you fired. Chip Kelly knows that that'll get you fired. So Nick Sirianni's doing everything that he can to make sure that every Tuesday or every other Tuesday he's getting that very fat paycheck. But to your point, I'll just give the entire Eagles organization. Man, like they have a lot of stuff that goes on, and they sure as hell knows how to how to spin it to try to get it to where it, it's it doesn't it doesn't have egg on Howie's face or it doesn't have egg on this player's face. So we'll see. 
We'll see. John Marks, John Marks Media. Check out the YouTube. Subscribe, 9 o'clock. Do you have any problem with Bryce Harper asking for an extension? No problem with Bryce Harper asking for an extension. Not that it necessarily makes a lot of sense, being that he still has eight years left or seven years left seven, on the contract. Yeah, forget what it is. See, here, here's the reality of it. Bryce Harper is a superstar in baseball. Bryce Harper wanted to come to Philadelphia. He has been far exceeded my expectation of the kind of player he's been, the type of the kind of player he's been to the city, how he's embraced the city. I mean, he's been nothing short of spectacular. He has been he's coming in as a as a free agent this big. I've never seen a player come in and literally hit everything on all cylinders. It's been magnificent. Um, so you're paying for the fact that he and the owner said he was underpaid after last season. You're paying for the you're paying for the fact that he's underpaid. And you know what? If you have to put four or five years on the end of a contract, put four or five years at the end of, at the end of the contract. He may not even be here. You may be trading or eating the contract, and it and it, it's probably. A biased opinion because I like Bryce that much. Yeah, but yeah. I I would give him. I would give him this. Do you think he misses listening to you? No, <laughs> no. Wait. So he's not back in town yet. No. Once the season. Once the season starts, he's not streaming. He may, you. Well, he may not even realize that I'm not there. Right. Right. You know what I mean, like Spike will be working by then, and he may not even realize it'll just be one one white guy, another white guy driving the show. So, so. <laughs> here's the one thing I would say about that. All right. They signed him to this 13 year deal. He gets this ridiculous amount of money. And the whole premise was you got paid like an average annual salary that allows the owner to build. If you are coming up short in winning a championship, to ask for more money is now preventing them to build around you. And I feel like that's a bad look. Like if you would have won a world series, that's a different situation, but you've come up short twice. And now you're saying we've come up short. And I want more money, and that could prevent us from adding pieces to help us win the World Series that I haven't won yet. Well, I mean, I I did I, I thought it would just be they would give him they pay him always forty five. So I, I'm not I'm not okay with them adding payroll for current seasons. If they just want to, because like this is all about guaranteed money, right? So if he knows he can get another hundred hundred fifty million dollars guaranteed, that's all that they want. If that's the case, I'll buy in. If you're telling me it's the same salary, we're just extending it. If he's saying, I want to get an extension and I want to be paid at the rate I belong at, that's where it's different. Yeah, I'm, I'm not okay with that. No, if they want to, if they want to, I mean, like, listen, Trey Turner got, everybody's getting the double digit contracts now because, like you said, it's a way to, to space out the average annual. The hockey players, they were doing this with the hockey players for a while yeah. where they just try to space everything out. So at some point, the Phillies are going to be really bad when these guys get old. And, you know, Bryce Harper may be a part of that. And, they, you know, who knows how long he'll actually be here. But this also, this is what you do for a Hall of Fame player, in my opinion, that has acted the way that Bryce Harper has acted, the way the way that he's behaved, yeah. the ownership that he takes as being the face of this franchise and the face of this city, as silly as it is to give him a 13-year contract and already to give him an extension, <laughs> and that he's publicly asking for it. It is silly. But it's Bryce Harper, so I'm okay with it. All right, so football season's over, and now we got no Embiid for a little while. Although it seems like some positive Embiid vibes are starting to come. I don't know if you're into the Flyers quite yet. Phillies are in spring training. You're not really working. Do you have 
any Netflix, Prime, Apple TV suggestions? Because the listeners keep giving me stuff because I'm trying to find stuff for these, like, off nights when the Sixers aren't playing. Right. You got anything Dave. for me? Dave. Have you seen Dave? Dave. What pro- platform? It, it, it's with it's with Little Dicky. Um, I think it's Hulu. I don't even know. So Little Dicky's a is a rapper from from Cheltenham, from Elkins Park. Yep. Right outside of Philly, and it's I think it's loosely based on his story, and it's I've only I've only caught a couple episodes of the first season, but it's re- it's really funny. It's good. So I, I, I have heard of it. Uh, I do know I am familiar with the show, but when you said it at first, I was like I didn't know what you were talking. about. now that you mentioned Little Dicky, yeah, I, I do know that it's on Hulu. I don't have Hulu. No Hulu? Nah, I have I have Netflix and Prime and Apple TV. So I bundled the because I have to have the ESPN Plus because I have to you know you have to have the the stories that are on ESPN Plus. So I go so the bundles Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu for fifteen ninety nine a month. And what is your uh, television provider? Comcast. Oh, so you 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 haven't cut the cord yet. No, it, it's actually something that I, I've been talking about. And if you go to if you go to your Xfinity bill, you can't find when your contract ends because I don't feel like calling them. But I'm trying to find out when my contract ends so I can be like, oh, because they'll they'll bang you for the for the, the the early cancellation fee if you. And I don't even know if I have a contract or not. I've had it for so many years. Yeah, I, well, I'm, I just cut the cord Sunday. Really? Yeah, I walked right in there and I said I talked about this on Monday. It was something I did this weekend that was so easy, much easier than I thought. And I commend them for not even asking me a question. Not why, not what's wrong. Can we help? They took the bag of my equipment and I say, you know what? Kudos to them. So the, the one, the one problem that I have, and I know you have a, a big, huge TV at home, but it's also probably a newer one. If you have Apple TV and it has apps and things like that. Yeah. My doubts, my, my TV in my living room which I bought six years ago, right when we moved into our house, doesn't have a lot of the same apps. Yeah, just get a Google it, Chromecast. So I, the Google Chromecast, and I can take care of all that. Get the Chromecast and all the apps. It's a great interface. I love it. I actually just put it in the bedroom because we got we only had cable in the bedroom. Everywhere else I have YouTube TV. But my problem was I was paying for YouTube TV and Comcast. And I was paying for Comcast Wi-Fi and Verizon Wi-Fi. Yeah. But both. Yes, I, I'm an idiot. I know. So I, <laughs> I took, I blowtorched like thousands of dollars every year, and then my girlfriend kept saying, "We got to do something. We got to make a decision. I don't care which one it is. Just make a decision." But the interface of the Chromecast is excellent. All right, I'm, yeah. not, I'm ready to cut the cord because I'm paying. Like, my bill's like two sixty a month. Yeah, for, I hear you for Comcast. Well, All go right. get the Chromecast. I actually have an extra one at my house. You can, I'll even mail it to you. It's just sitting there wow. staring at because people kept buying me Chromecast because I have two TVs outside that both have Chromecast. And then I have all these extra Chromecasts now because people kept getting to me, getting them for me as gifts. So I have an extra one if you want it. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> John Marks Media. Are you going on at nine tonight? Nine o'clock tonight, uh, probably more reaction to the Jalen Hurts, uh, Craig Carton saga. Actually, Sixers game tonight. Yes. So when I do the nine o'clock show during the Sixers game, uh, it's a little bit slower because there's so many eyes on the Sixers. So we'll be, we'll be on right when the game ends for a little post game too. Very good. Well, good to see you, man.
Good to see you. I'll be, I'll be watching at five with Devon. He's my guy. All right, man. John Marks Media. Yes, he'll be up tonight. Uh, talk a little Sixers, Sixers, Knicks. You can hear the game here on 97.3. John Marks, everybody. John Marks Media. Follow him on Twitter and, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel and show. And we'll be talking to John more as, uh, this offseason's here. Phillies and stuff. More sports bash on the way. 609-403-0973. When we come back, Nick Nurse speaking and he is hoping for this, that's next. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. I hope. Yeah. I don't I don't know what to expect here. I think we're a couple weeks in, probably a couple more to go before we get an eval of where we're going to be. But, yeah, I hope we can get a couple weeks in and get him some games and get him healthy for right That now. was uh, Nick Nurse on the Takeoff Podcast with John Clark. Said, yeah, we hope to get him healthy, get him a couple games, and get him healthy for the playoffs. As I hinted at with John Marks from John Marks Media, thanks to John for jumping on the show. We're starting to get some positive vibes, it feels like, around Joel Embiid. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Like, hearing Nick Nurse come out and talk about him, but also, Ryan Windhorst brought up an interesting conversation today. When thinking about Joel Embiid and what the goals are for this Sixers team, and if they can get him back, that is almost like, hey, just take a shot and make a run at this thing. And I know as a fan, you're not like throw, you shouldn't be writing this. Like if Joel Embiid is back, do they have a shot? Tim Legler earlier today talked about if Joel Embiid is back, whether or not the Sixers have a legitimate shot to be a force in this year's playoffs. Here's what Legs had to say. You've added another piece in Buddy Heald that should fit great alongside of Embiid and Maxie. He's already played very well for them without Embiid. You add Embiid to the mix, the number of clean looks Buddy Heald gets. Tobias Harris has had a very good year. Sixers absolutely could make a serious threatening run in the East if they get Joel Embiid back. Are we discounting what the addition of Buddy Heald means to this team if they have Joel Embiid? You heard what Legler said, the amount of clean looks that Buddy Heald will get. Like, Buddy Heald is one of those guys, like, a couple of months, about a month ago, I was like, I don't want to hear Buddy Heald's name anymore. I'm sick of hearing his name every year attached to the Sixers. But I would ask this question. Buddy Heald is a very good scorer. He is a very good shooter. Who's the best player Buddy Heald has played with? Answer that question. Who is the best player that Buddy Heald has played with? Either De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton. And how many of those guys draw the attention that Joel Embiid does? None. So you have a guy in Buddy Heald who has been pretty good. But is this the best he can be? Is he in the situation that he could be better here than he's been at any other stop. 
I didn't like when they made the trade. I was like, so like, I'm I'm tired of hearing about Buddy Heald. So I didn't really even think about adding Buddy Heald. But like, as I've seen him in with this team. I, by the way, uh, Austin Krell wrote a great piece about how Maxi and Heald are starting to kind of form the bond together already in their last couple of games together. And I never even thought about Buddy Heald and who he's played with. And then what playing with Joel Embiid might do for Buddy Heald. Like, you're just like, hey, Buddy's a good scorer. You know, he's in Indiana, and that team's just like up and down, Tyrese Halliburton. They don't really have a big man that takes a lot of the attention away from you. I mean, Sabonis, um, no, I mean, Sabonis was in Sacramento, not Sabonis. Um, what's his name? Uh, who's the center in uh, Indiana? He went to Texas. Oh, Miles Turner. Turner, right. Turner is not Joel Embiid, right? I mean, he's a big man, but he's not Joel Embiid big man. He doesn't get the attention of the defense like uh, like Joel does. And, and when, when Legler said that today, I was like, you know what? I'm now intrigued to see what Buddy Heald, Tyrese Maxey, and Joel Embiid could be. So is that trio on par with Giannis, Dame, Middleton? Well, the way that team's going right now, you might never even face them. Is that on par with what the Knicks have? The Knicks don't have an answer for Joel. Right. Love Brunson. Randall. What else do they really have? OG Ananobi. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the Knicks are an interesting team. I definitely think they would be a dangerous team, but I don't know that they can match up with Joel. It really would be the question, as um, Legler kind of put, that they would be a dangerous team if they can get him out there. But he also brought up something else about Joel Embiid, and he likened it to what happened with Curry a couple of years ago, that Curry missed a lot of time and then came back, and then all that sudden that team made that deep run. This is what Legler said about the possibility of getting Embiid back. Those legs aren't going to have the normal grind of 82 games by that point. This break can actually do you some good. Steph Curry went through this a few years ago. He had a second half of the season injury, and he looked amazing when they got to the playoffs because his legs felt so energized. That's where Embiid would be. That's where Embiid would be. The only thing I would say to that, though, he has to have enough games under his belt to get his cardio. His legs might feel great, but if he is unable to get up and down the court the way he needs to, that's why it's so important that what Nurse said rings true is that he does play enough games and nurse seemed pretty comfortably and confident in talking about yeah we hope to you know get him back and 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 get him in some games in fact Embiid was at practice today and, and was there um not ready to practice yet but you know the fact that you're around the team starts to make you feel like he's starting to get that feeling of like okay I'm starting to get ready I'm starting to want to come back he was in for practice, and um, he's happy. You know, I think he's happy. He likes some of the new additions. He's looking around. He thinks the team's getting better. He really, told me, really looks out there. He said, I really want to be out there. You know, so let's see what happens. All right. Yeah, that's two things that are good, that he's there and he's happy. He likes the additions. Joel Embiid's looking around at this team and saying, is this the best team that I have? Is this the best team? that I've had since I've got here. Now, they did have the Butler team. You know, you can make an argument that, but looking back, hindsight 2020, maybe he says, well, Ben was Ben, and we just weren't ready to win with Ben. Is Tyrese Maxey, Buddy Heald, Joel Embiid, 
Harris. And then, you know, the one thing I think we discount with the Sixers is their depth. It's the one thing that has hurt them in years past. They just haven't had any depth. Their bench has been so light. Well, now we've talked about it a lot. We're going to talk about it tonight at 5 o'clock with Devon Givens. Is the bench of the 76ers is maybe the deepest in the entire Eastern Conference, if not the league. I mean, we were talking with Paul Hudrick last week, and I'll ask Devon Givens this tonight. Who's the odd man out of the rotation? Who's the guy that is out of the rotation if they only go eight or nine deep? 609-403-0973. Uh, Brian Windhorse talked about why the Sixers, you know, you take a look at Embiid and the best, you know, team that they had. And that's one of the things that the Sixers looked at that looked at at the deadline when they got Buddy Heald. But the 76ers went out and added at the trade deadline with Buddy Heald specifically because they were planning on having Embiid back. If and when he comes back, if it's in late March or early April or whatever, and he comes back out there and he's looking like this, I think the Sixers have a chance to threaten everybody in the East. If he's operating a little slower and he can't get his minute load up and his efficiency goes down, then we're going to be focusing more on next season. And that's the key, is they got healed because they thought that they were going to get Embiid back. And it's also why Wendy says that Embiid got the surgery this year in the first place. The type of surgery that he got, even though the Sixers have been very vague about this injury, and I don't think it's always been the best look for them or Embiid, but whatever. It, would, it appears like he had a portion of his meniscus removed. That would enable him to return. I think that was absolutely always on the table from the moment that they completed the surgery. So he gets the surgery so that he could return. All right, let's get this surgery done now to give us enough leeway that you can come back and really help us. We'll go out and get Buddy healed or somebody. They didn't know who they were going to get at that time. But in January where they make the decision, now this was handled poorly and it's been sloppy, but... Could it be a blessing in disguise, as, you know, Legler mentioned with the fresh legs and all that stuff? I think it could be if Embiid can get back and play. I want to see him play like 10 games, 8 to 10 games, I think would be enough games for him to get his legs under him, get some wind under him, and then you're talking about a guy that nobody else has, that nobody else is prepared for, and you could have the guy who's the biggest force in the playoffs. There's only one Joel Embiid. Like, he is the differentiating factor for them. They have him. So he comes in and immediately becomes maybe the toughest individual scoring matchup in the entire league. There's no real answer for Joel Embiid, the way he shoots the mid-range at his size. So right off the bat, you throw this force onto the court that nobody's got a great answer for. And keep in mind, let's just say the Sixers don't get Embiid back, or even if they do get Embiid back, and they falter. Brian Windhorst said that might not matter because the future could be bright. I know that everybody thinks that they it's title or bust for everybody. But remember, <laughs> the Sixers are now in position to have up to $60 million in salary cap space this summer. They are also auditioning for potential star players. If they look good in this postseason, look like they've got a great future, it, even if they get knocked out before they want to, it could potentially lead to positive things down the road. So that's an interesting one. $60 million in cap space. Here's the problem I have with that. There's not a guy on the free agent market that I'm all like, Yahoo, let's go get. So the $60 million in cap space only matters more to me for sign-and-trade possibilities because I don't think there's a free agent that excites me. But the part that he said is like, hey, 
You have Buddy Heald, you have Tyrese Maxey, you have Joel Embiid. Now, Buddy Heald's a free agent. My question would be, all right, you've got Harris, his contract's off the book. Can I get Buddy Heald to return here at a team-friendly type of deal? Does Buddy say, you know what, I really like playing with Maxey. I want a full season with Embiid. I'm done bouncing around and having my Nate and trade talks. I'll stay. I'll be the third or fourth or fifth guy on the team. Let's go out and get some other. And I'm not saying he's going to take the veterans minimum, but I'm just saying you don't have to sign him to a max deal like you did with Harris. Now, I don't think Harris is going to get a max deal again, but if you had to make a decision, we're going to pay someone to stay and come back and be the third guy. It's Maxi, it's Heald, and it's Embiid because everybody else is gone. They don't have one guy other than Paul Reed locked up. So what Windhorse said was a really eye-opening thing. I think if you're Buddy Heald, what you need to do is you need to look at the last time a player like him played with Joel Embiid. Who? The last time a player who liked Buddy Heald played with Joel Embiid was J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick had two of his best years alongside Embiid. That was a lesser version of Embiid. That was not Embiid in his prime. Like It's not MVP Embiid years ago. So you have to think, Buddy Heald's got to look around and be like, if J.J. Redick could do what he did, and J.J. Redick was older than Buddy when he signed with the Sixers, you got to think Buddy's got to keep that in mind, right? Yeah, I, listen, if I'm Buddy Heald, listen, I'm a different cat, all right? I'm definitely a different cat. Like, money is not the be-all, end-all decision-making for me. Right. So if I'm Buddy Heald, I'm saying, this team's great for me. I get looks, I got Maxi. I got Embiid. I'm going to get looks all night long. I don't need to make, you know, if I'm getting paid eight million bucks, I don't need to make ten million bucks to go someplace else. I'm happy with my eight million playing where I want to play. But I totally get that that I'm a different cat when it comes to that. So I don't know where Buddy Heald stands with what he's now. By the way, Buddy Heald's played four games with this team. He has not played one game with Joel Embiid. So he could say, "What the hell are you guys talking about? I haven't played one game with Joel Embiid yet. I don't know what kind of looks I'm getting." I think we all assume that Joel will give you the opportunity to get more looks, right? And like I said, I'm I'm assuming that in part because I look at who has played with Joel Embiid, and I see that. I mean, even Markel Fultz. Well, Reddick's the guy I brought up when we were talking about this about two weeks ago. Was Redick is probably the best shooter that Joel's ever played with. Heald would be not probably as good as a shooter as Redick, but on the same level. But he can put the ball on the floor better than Redick can. Right. So he he actually might be almost what you hoped, not literally, but kind of what you hoped, the lesser version of what Markel Fultz was going to be. Sports Bash brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning. Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations online. Excuse me. Yeah, online at Broadley's.net. Call them at 609-390-3907. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Coming up at 5 o'clock tonight, Devon Givens from PHLY. He covers the Sixers. What is he excited about? About getting Joel back? Buddy Heel playing with him? What are some of the second-half things he's looking for? But when we come back, are the Bucks more committed to winning than the Sixers? Pat Bev thinks so. You'll hear the retort coming up next. It's sick. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you kidding me? He rocks the rim with a right-hand jam. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. on 97.3 ESPN. First of all, I love Fat Bev, right? Go way, way, way back with him. And I don't know that he hasn't been there that long, really, maybe to know, to know the in, inside scoop on them for sure. But whatever, man, I know we're totally committed and focused. I came here to win a title. I know Joel is Daryl Elton, Tyrese, like Tobias, the guys are here to, to do their work. They're super interested in where we're going and we're ready to compete. Uh, that was Nick Nurse. He was asked, uh, Pat Bev has said that the Bucks are more committed to winning a title than the Sixers are. Uh, Pat Bev, I liked him a lot. I thought he was a great fit. He's a clown show. Okay. I mean, come on, Pat Bev. The Bucks have lost two in a row, three out of seven. They fired their coach. Doc Rivers is there. Uh, this whole thing has turned into a disaster for the Bucks. It's almost like they want to start over and fire Doc and get another new coach. You can't tell me they fired their coach and then Giannis came out. And said that he misses Drew Holiday. They live next door to each other and he misses him, but he would make the trade again. You can't tell me that that team sounds more committed to winning a title. Now, maybe Philadelphia doesn't sound committed. Maybe Pat Bev was in the locker room and didn't think guys were committed. He seemed like he liked it when he was here. He didn't have any negative stuff to say when he was here. So Pat Bev is turning into the hot take guy. He's turning into the guy that on Monday says, hey, the Cowboys are the best team in the league. And then on Tuesday, he decides, you know what? The ratings are better if I say they stink. He has turned into, well, I'm in Milwaukee. They want to win more than Philadelphia does. But when I'm in Philly, Philly wants to win more than Milwaukee does. I don't believe anything Pat Bev says now. He's lost credibility with me. He's lost all credibility. And also, you know, for those who didn't hear the audio, I, I would listen. This is the, the second part of what he said on his podcast made me unfollow him. He's off my podcast list. Now. Wow. So you were a Pat Bev religious listener? I wouldn't say religious, but I, I it was it was in my rotation and his response to JJ Reddick's comments, instead of responding to JJ Reddick, he just trashed him as a person. So he never actually responded to anything Reddick said about Doc Rivers or the Clippers. He just ripped him and basically said how much of basically a loser he is. So it's like, okay, Pat Bev, you're like a politician. You attack somebody personally, not what they say. So I'm out on Pat Bev too. Yeah, I, look, uh, a lot of people going after JJ for what he said about Doc. And then, of course, Beverly is now playing for Doc. Is there a part of him that's like, well, I got to stick up for my coach? You don't have to stick up for your coach. He's a, As Austin Rivers said, he's a grown man. He doesn't need me to stick up for him. Well... Pat Bev, I liked him on the Sixers. I was kind of like, why'd they trade him? Come on, Pat Bev. Now you're glad they traded him. If you told me you got traded to Boston and said they have, like, they're more committed to winning the title than the Sixers, all right. If you said Cleveland, who's won 9 out of 10, and I get traded there, man, this team's young, they're hungry, they're more committed. If you told me the Knicks... Hey, Brunson's just such a tough-nosed guy. This team, they're committed to winning a title. Maybe we're not the best team. Can't tell me the Bucks right now feel like a superior situation to where the Sixers are. Both of them have lost three out of uh, seven out of the last ten. They both have been in the dumpster. But the Bucks fired their coach and haven't done anything good since the coach got fired. Pat Bev, I'm out on you. 
I'm not out on football at four. It's coming up next. Jersey 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Andrew DeCecco, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. We're never satisfied. That hunger for more. That hunger for more. I have it. Everyone has it. Now live, this is Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Andrew DeCecco's here. It's brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary. At Bet365, football at 4 on a Thursday with Andrew here on the Sports Bass Live. 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Well, there's been plenty of drama surrounding the Philadelphia Eagles over the last 48 hours or so, Andrew. They have an offseason ahead. The draft is on the way. But it seems that people, you know, Andrew, one of the things about a season that goes bad, people say eventually, eventually things will start to come out. Are you buying any of the stuff you're hearing? You were in that locker room. Are you starting to hear some things and saying, you know what? Some of this stuff now makes more sense. Uh, how are you reading the stuff that's going on with uh, Jalen Hurts and Big Dom and Nick Sirianni? I mean, this last 48 hours has turned bizarre. Yeah, it, it has. But a lot of the stuff that has come out, you know, the stuff that's, that has merit is things that either uh, I've gathered over the season or you've heard Jeff or Adam or you've seen it written in other places. Like, there hasn't been this 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 enlightening moment where you say, oh, yeah, that also happened, and now we're just uncovering that. I mean, it, it doesn't take, you know, a genius to tell you that, obviously, Jalen Hurst was being bogged down with a lot of his off-the-field responsibilities. He's a creature of habit and being out of his element and having to – catered to so many different things ultimately detracts you and it, it can impact you on the field. And then obviously the Sean Desai thing and the switching of the defensive coordinators. And obviously there was a trickle down from there. And we all know that story. But other than that, I don't like to give any credence to any speculation or innuendo. I mean, frankly, I can't wait for the combine or the free agency because all this discourse is really ridiculous, in my opinion. Yeah, I, and you mentioned the hurt stuff. I mean, you know, that comes out that hey, you know, he really kind of had him going in a lot of different directions. He wasn't really prepared for. It. And then the first thing people say is, "Well, then you shouldn't have signed that contract." How do you kind of look at uh, moving forward for him? Do you have concern uh, that 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 his personality doesn't fit the contract he signed? No, because I think like anything, it takes an adjustment period, right? And yeah, this season was probably a rude awakening and a sign of things to come for Jalen, and he's never really experienced that, right? He's always been the underdog. But now that you've been in the spotlight, you're doing Hulu commercials and, and things like that, and you're not accustomed to doing that. I think now you sort of rip the Band-Aid off, and you kind of know what to expect going into it moving forward, and knowing that you're going to have a lot more eyes on you. You're going to have a lot more, a lot, to meet a lot more different demands, and you're going to have you know, people pulling you in different directions. So I think now after you're accustomed to it, you sort of, uh, you, you sort of are able to turn the page and it becomes, you know, something ordinary, like, uh, like what happens to Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. I mean, I'm sure when those guys were in those situations, initially it, w it was a shock to them as well, but like anything you settle in and you, you kind of get used to it. Yeah, I know that uh, a lot of people looking at Hurts, like kind of not knowing what to think about him moving forward and what kind of season he had or what the reason why the season didn't look like the one the year before. But uh, obviously, the new coordinator, we'll see what happens there. Uh, what was your reaction hearing the Big Dom stuff? Uh, once he got, I mean, this thing is bonkers to me. <laughs> he gets suspended and then Sirianni, um, I, I, the 
a lot of people texted in today, like, you got to get rid of Sirianni. He's childish. Uh, when you hear that, does, does it bring you some, some pause as to how they brought him back? I certainly think there's a, there's a, a Dom factor, and he does play a big role in sort of harnessing Nick Sirianni and being that mediator on the sideline that you need, especially when you have a, a passionate coach like that, that that is prone to, you know, emotional outbursts. But I think that it was sort of, uh, I, I think a lot of folks took that and they, they, they sort of, you know, took it and ran with it and saying he needs a babysitter, for lack of a better term. And I don't know that, that that's what it, it was intended to mean, right? I, I think Big Dom actually serves a, a role, but to think that he was a reason, you know, a primary reason why the collapse happened, I mean, that, I mean that's ridiculous. I think a lot of folks are, are looking for an answer and they're trying to pinpoint different things. It was an amalgam of things that really contributed to the Eagles spiraling out of control. It's not just one person, one player, one situation. And, I mean, it happened. And we have to move forward. We have, if you're the Eagles, you have a team to build to, to look forward in 2024, and you have to put that in the rearview mirror. And I think ultimately, players who don't come back, and you can sort of read between the lines on on some of the things that happen. And I think you're gonna whoever, whatever was a factor, probably won't be around or won't be a contributing factor next season. So you can look at it in terms of personnel. You looked at it in the coaching staff, right? I mean, a, a fresh-faced coaching staff offensively and defensively primarily. So I think all these things moving forward are what you need to focus on and not really – you have to leave 2023 in the rearview mirror and, and, and uh, you know, stop trying to find, you know, every – look up under every rock for an answer. Yeah, I guess one thing when it comes to Nick, and I have to imagine, Andrew, that Lori and Roseman went to the veteran players on this team and that Nick got overwhelming support. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. Like, if they said Big Dom wasn't here and this guy was a clown and he doesn't know how to act, and you go to Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, hey, guys, what do you think? You would think they would say, look, we can't play for this guy, and he'd be gone. I would have to imagine he got the support of his players. Absolutely, and actions speak louder than words. And Nick Sirianni is viewed differently internally than he may be to the outside world. To The, the perception is different. What may look like an, an impassioned coach who kind of acts out irrationally and things of that nature, yeah, that happens. We all see that. But you're not what you're not seeing. What we're all not privy to is what Nick Sirianni does behind closed doors, in, in connecting and building team camaraderie, can, uh, sort of trying to find ways to to relate to different players and and his game, his week to week preparation. We don't see any of that. Those guys do. And when you have a overwhelming support coming from different veterans and young players alike, well, there's something to be said for that. And it, it certainly doesn't seem to be a popular decision from the outside with retaining Nick Sirianni. But the fact of the matter is, is he has the support of that locker room, which should further drive home the point that he did not lose the team. Uh, Andrew Checo, football at four here on the Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Yeah, because, you know, the, the Jalen Hurts stuff, it's like, okay, 
you had the first semester of college and you were like, whoa, this is my first chance on my own. And, you know, when I come back from Thanksgiving break, I really got to buckle down here. You would think the benefit of the doubt is there for him to now know what his schedule is going to be. Um, so you feel that he, if he had problems adjusting, should get past that, right? Yeah, 100%. Everything happened really fast. Right. You get to the court, you get to the Super Bowl in 2022. Then you have all these endorsements and you have a lot more interviews and, and everything. You're getting pulled in a million directions. Now you know how to balance that schedule. You have uh, folks who are around you who are more apt to make sure that they're being a good liaison and finding ways to uh, shield you from some of the overwhelming aspects that come with being a preeminent player in the NFL. So also, Jalen will know how to how to sort of balance it himself. He knows where he maybe felt overwhelmed and how to sort of mediate that, I guess, for lack of a better term. And also, you have to factor in the on-field stuff, right? The on-field play. He regressed from a mechanical standpoint in many aspects. I think getting a veteran offensive coordinator in there and a veteran quarterback coach in Doug Nussmeyer, who has a longstanding history of developing talent, at the quarterback position is ultimately going to help him as well and alleviate some of the pressure that Jalen was feeling on the field, feeling as though he had to make every play out there. So I think all the things so far that have happened around the Eagles have been positive in trending towards the right direction and trying to turn the page from a dismal 2023 season. Uh, to do that, they got to beef up the roster. Let's look at a couple things you wrote about over at InsideTheBirds.com. I want to get into Swift uh, because the betting odds for running backs is interesting around the Eagles. I mean, they're the favorite to sign Tony Pollard if he doesn't return to the Cowboys. They were high on the list for uh, some of the other key running backs, uh, Derek Henry, Saquon Barkley. Uh, there was one other one that they were pretty high on the list for that's escaping me. But do you think that they would be a player in free? Oh, uh, Austin Eckler was the other one. Do you think they will be a player in free agency, or does that not sound like the road that Howie Roseman would travel? I have a hard time thinking that this regime is going to pay an exorbitant fee for an outside running back. The Eagles aren't averse to paying running backs, but if you look at their history, it's more along the lines of homegrown talent, along the lines of the LaShawn McCoy, a Brian Westbrook. So I think that you're going to probably see a, a middling player. Maybe a Zach Moss would be a nice addition. And then draft a running back, and then you have Kenny Gainwell. And I would imagine Boston Scott would return as well because you don't want to completely tear apart the cupboard and have a bunch of unfamiliar entities back there behind Kenny Gainwell. So I think having that familiarity and break Boston Scott's not going to break, you know, break the bank there. I would I would think you're going to see a, a moderate mid-tier free agent signing, more of the bigger-bodied uh, dynamic, um, and then uh, draft a player. Draft one that you can sort of grow, and maybe they become one of those homegrown talents that you want to be a, a, a piece to the future. But I don't think that they're going to be paying, forking over so much money to, to bring in a Derrick Henry and Austin Eckler when they have so many other needs on the roster to fill that take priority. You like any of those guys at all as a fit? I mean, Eckler obviously was in San uh, in San Diego, L.A. with more Pollard with more Henry is a you get to an age where you start to question it, but he's a, certainly a, a productive back still. Um, Saquon injury issues. Do any of them like would you think are a good fit here? Well, Derrick Henry would be a good fit for any team. And I think if you're looking at the Eagles and what they're missing, they're missing a power element to their running game in the backfield 
too many times they've been overly reliant on using Jalen Hurts to pick up those short yardage plays. And I think that that's where a, a bigger bodied running back like a Derrick Henry could be able to fulfill a significant role. That said, he's not going to come at a you know at a cost effective rate here. So that right there, if, you know, knowing how the Eagles do business, that would completely take them off my slate. Now, crazier things have happened. You look at Demarco Murray, but again, that was Chip Kelly in a different era. Um, so that's why it's hard for me to fathom them doing that. I also think Austin Eckler would be a fantastic fit here, being the pass catching running back, a dual threat. But he's also struggled with staying healthy as of late, and he's more of a like a, a complimentary running back. He's not a feature running back, and you already had someone of that uh, of that caliber in DeAndre Swift, uh, obviously to a lesser degree, but somebody who is not necessarily equipped to be a three-down running back. And he's a little bit older. He's I think he's 29 years old. So Derrick Henry of the bunch would be the player that I would think would be a fit, just given his skill set. But uh, outside, I just don't think that the Eagles would be willing to to pony up for the someone to a running back position. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I I don't I don't know. The only way I really see Andrew is if say Pollard or Eckler, one of those type of guys, just is sitting out there and they're willing to take the one year prove it deal and they get him at a number they feel comfortable with. Otherwise, I guess the question would be which way. Do you see this backfield looking like next year? Because really, Kenny Gainwell is the only guy. I know they brought in uh, a guy this week from San Francisco, and there's some probably you know young futures guys on this team, but Gainwell's the only guy they have with any experience currently on the roster. Well, I think they would like to have DeAndre Swift back, and I think DeAndre Swift would be enticing for someone like a Kellen Moore who is going to maximize his skill set. His pass ca- The pass-catching element was the most alluring trait when you acquire somebody like DeAndre Swift and the Eagles really didn't. He had his lowest reception and receiving yard, receiving total in his career, which is sort of puzzling. So you have to wonder if you're DeAndre if you would even want to come back, although looking at the offensive coordinator and knowing that there could be a change in philosophy and usage, maybe you want to, but you look at the Miles Sanders deal last year, and that may be a lesson learned for a lot of teams looking for a prospective running back, which could ultimately help DeAndre Swift, but still I think he's going to make a tick more than the Eagles are willing to pay. That being said, there's a lot of running backs early on day three in the draft that I think would fulfill a need for the Eagles. And you could might you might be able to find someone like I mentioned. I mentioned Zach Moss or maybe um, uh, J.K. Dobbins who has been injury riddled, but somebody who has a lot of ability and they can sort of work and piecemeal it together. Because I think Kenny Gainwell is still going to be a factor as well. So that's kind of how I envision it. You have to look at, at the team and their and their trends. And the Eagles aren't a team that traditionally prioritizes the running back position. Yeah, another spot you wrote about over at uh, InsideTheBirds.com is the tight end spot. You said they whiffed on the trade for Albert O. Uh, but that's definitely a spot that do you look in free agency or is the draft a spot where you start to find that guy behind Dallas Goddard? Because it seems like when Goddard went out this year, they really struggled. Yeah, I think it's time to start maybe on day two even looking to develop a young tight end with a receiving prowess, an athletic tight end that can really help threaten the middle of the field and and aid Jalen Hurts in sort of being a safety valve when Dallas Goddard's commanding a lot of attention. And they don't really have that. Jack Stoll is somebody who, whether folks like it or not, the Eagles really think highly of him. And he, I don't foresee him going anywhere. Now he is a restricted free agent. I tend to think that they're going to find a way to – they're not going to tender him, at that cost, but I think that they're going to be able to bring him back and come to an agreement on a one-year deal. 
but you need to upgrade from your number two tight end. Uh, Jack Stoll is a blocking-centric tight end, more of an inline guy, and does not really factor into the offensive equation. He only has 20 receptions for less than 200 yards in his career, which is 50 games, a span of 50 games. So they have to get better there athletically, and I think the draft is the way to do it. Um, the Quez Watkins experiment over, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, the, every every sign points to Quez looking to play somewhere else. I think both for the Eagles and for Quez, you have to you have to part ways. And for Quez, I mean, you can't even tweet his name. I couldn't even tweet that he was practicing without getting just this venom in the in the comments section. You know, Quez Watkins, he's this or that. He can't do that. Did he drop it? It's like I'm just saying that he's practicing today and. When you see this, I mean, you, you, if you're a player, you can't help but see this. You just kind of like with Nelson Aguilar, you almost need to go somewhere else and just you know change scenery and and get in a new system and and hope you can revitalize your career somewhere else. But I think from a health perspective, you, if you're Quez and you're the Eagles, just part ways. And if you're the Eagles, you have to find I think a bigger bodied receiver that can also threaten vertically because Kellen Moore is going to use the number three wide receiver role quite a bit. And to me, a guy like a Noah Brown, who has a lot of familiarity with Kellen Moore, he's coming off a relatively good season, back-to-back seasons of having over 550 receiving yards, would be a really nice piece there to add. Um, they, need, they need a lot more contributions, and, and Quez Watkins was too much of a highly uh, – he was a highly volatile player, and that's not going to work. Yeah, would you uh, bring Zacchaeus back, uh, uh, or do you, would you just say, look, it's time to really uh, get a difference-making player at that third spot? Yeah, I really like OZ, and you may remember last free agency, he was a name that I mentioned would make sense for the Eagles to bring in because he offered a different dimension, short area quickness, good in space, and I thought that he would have been good on those dump-offs and things of that nature, but they didn't quite use him at all, and I thought that he really shown well as a blocker, but that's not what he signed here to be a primary, primarily do, and he may want to go elsewhere, but I also think that kind of like we talked about with DeAndre Swift, if you're Zacchaeus, you may want to stay here if, if the Eagles want you back because Kellen Moore can use you a lot different, accentuate what you do well. And I think OZ has a lot to bring to the table and could be a nice four. And when you look beyond the, uh, the, uh, Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, there's not a lot of experienced players behind him. So I think bringing back Zacchaeus helps stability, and at least you let him compete for a spot in training camp and see where he fits. Uh, are you on uh, the Tanner McKee train, or do you think they, you know, because they like to get a veteran backup generally. I- I'm interested to see how they play this because, you know, um, where they are cap-wise, all the moves, can they spend the amount of money that they have spent on backup quarterback this time around? Well, the Eagles are a team that prioritizes the backup quarterback position, and when you're a team like the Eagles, you're in a position in which they are where the Super Bowl window is still open, you want to have insurance behind Jalen Hurts and ensure that the season won't get derailed should your quarterback miss any time. And I think that you have to see where you're at with Tanner McKee and his development, but I think it behooves the Eagles to bring in a veteran quarterback. Maybe a Tyler Huntley is a name that I mentioned who offers a a, a versatile skill set, has played in games, and I, I think he would kind of be able to fit in seamlessly here would be a good option. Maybe someone perhaps like an Easton Stick who has experience with Kellen Moore probably is not going to cost a whole lot to bring in here. And then competition brings out the best in everyone. Let those two guys compete. 
I mean, Tanner McKee being the other player, and see what you have. But I ultimately think that the Eagles are going to target a veteran quarterback in the free agency period. All right, uh, getting you ready for the free agency period. We'll do it here on Football at 4 on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. And don't forget, check out the Inside the Birds podcast and InsideTheBirds.com. Andrew DeCecco, everybody, leading you up to, as he said, the Combine is almost here. Draft season is underway. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Mike. All right, Andrew DeCecco here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You heard Andrew, you know, Marcus Mariota, by the way, he's gone, so he'll be out of the backup quarterback role. They'll got to have to fill that position. They got to find, I would think, one running back minimum, two if they want to go with what they had last year. Now, you can always bring Boston Scott back, but the problem with bringing Boston Scott back is he keeps getting to the point where he gets – more and more money as he keeps getting years into the league the veteran minimum for that how many years you put in keeps going up he was the highest paid player at that position last year did you know that right the running back position he was the highest paid running back on the roster last year Boston Scott was just because they have to keep paying him to keep coming back so do you bring him back at like 1.5 draft a guy in like the fourth round and then go with Kenny Gainwell. I find that story to be very interesting. And the wide receiver, the third spot there, what happens with that third wide receiver spot definitely is something that we're intrigued by here on the sports bash. All right, coming up more sports bash on the way. We got a new segment starting today with our producer, Nick Earnshaw, who does a really good job on the locker rooms on the weekends here. He's a really, uh, and a big baseball guy. He's got a baseball podcast called The Shift that he does. Uh, and they do a really good job talking Philly. So, uh, we'll have a new segment with, uh, producer Nick Earnshaw coming up on the other side here on the sports bash live on 97.3 ESPN. But before we get there, I want to tell you, about my friend Rocco over at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Right now through the end of the month, which, by the way, there's an extra day in the month of February this year. Did you know that? Got the uh, leap year. He can get you into a 2024 Acura Integra. It's a lease for just $369 a month. Or a 2024 MDX lease for $489 a month. And beginning on March 2nd, their service department will be open on Saturdays again. So, stop in and see Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City, Tilt Road in EHT, the small but friendly dealer, online at keyacuraofatlanticcity.com. I ride by there literally every single day. Literally every day. It's right up the street from our office. The guys are great. And nothing like driving in an Acura, right? One of our friends in the building here has a nice Acura. I enjoy riding in that car. Very nice. All right, coming up, Nick Earnshaw, Nick's Nuggets on the way. Don't go away. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's six. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
tonight. Are you kidding me? He rocks the rim with a right-hand jam. Coverage begins at 7 p.m. on 97.3 ESPN. 4.30, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN. Free mobile app, Mike Gill with you till 6 o'clock tonight. Yeah, Sixers are back against the Knicks. No Joel Embiid, though. We did have some positive thoughts about Joel Embiid. You heard Nick Nurse say that he's hoping to get him back and have some time to get ready for the season. That's uh something to kind of, you know, be excited for, I guess, right? We are all so negative about, I don't know, Joel Embiid. Don't know if he's coming back. You know, Paul Hutrick was on with us uh, about two weeks ago. Right before, I guess it was about a week, maybe it was right before the All-Star break, and we asked him if he anticipated that Joel was going to come back, and he said he was pretty confident that Joel would return. The biggest question is for me, how much time will he be back for? How many games will he play? And, I, and I've chronicled many times that the way that um, the schedule breaks down for the Sixers is not good. They've got a lot of road games late. They've got a lot of road trips um, where they're like three on the road, one at home, back on the road. So there's not a great spot for Joel to return. There's not a situation where you're like, all right, he can come back and play like seven games, nine games without having to travel, without like a lot of stuff. So it will definitely be a challenging situation to get him back into the mix, you're going to have to basically say, look, you're going to have to play three road games. I don't know if he's going to play a back-to-back because they have a back-to-back, I think, late in the season, that kind of stuff. But I do think it was a positive vibe to hear Nick Nurse comment on him. Hey, he was at practice. He wants to go. He's excited about the team. And to kind of at least envision – getting him back into the mix. Like, just the thought of, okay, maybe it is a good possibility that Joel and B can come back. Maybe it is something that is a possibility. Because if you think about it, this season it is nothing without Joel B. We all know that. None of us are, are dumb enough to sit here and say, well, they can win a NBA cha- we don't even know that they can win the NBA championship. We're not even sure that they can win the NBA championship with Joel Embiid. So that's that. All right, new segment on the show. Nick Earnshaw is one of our weekend producers. You hear him on the locker room on Saturdays. And uh, we're going to be talking to Nick now throughout the uh, spring season, summer season. He's got a great podcast if you're a baseball fan. It's called The Shift, and you can check that out on all social media platforms. And uh, Nick is going to be a part of the show from now moving forward with Nick's Nuggets as we're going to take a look at what's on Nick's mind. I don't know that Nick can hear me, though. What's going on, oh, Mike? Can you uh, hear me? Yeah, I got you. I got you. All right, good, good. I got you. What's going on, Mike? So we got a lot to talk about I'm ready today. for this, man. I'm excited. I hear you a lot on the, <laughs> on the weekends, and I said, Nick's a smart guy. I like a lot of his topics. Let's bring him in. Well, we got Nick's Nuggets today. So I got a four-piece for you. I got a four-piece nugget for you today, Oh, Mike. McDonald's. So Are you ready to sponsor the segment, McDonald's? Yeah. We're ready to go. So nugget number one, we got to talk about Bryce Harper's contract situation. So there was a story in the Inquirer today, opinion piece by Marcus Hayes. He comes out with the idea of Bryce Harper wanting a new contract. And 
he could alienate the fan base, right? So he's got eight years left, $196 million left on his deal. He is the 25th highest AAV in Major League Baseball right now for any type of player. He has no opt-outs and wants to play in his 40s. So my whole thing is, why now? I think it's just a Scott Boris thing. Now, you and Josh, I don't know. What, what, are your, what is your take on this? Because I, I think Harper's got to wait for the contract. Okay. He's I'm, got, to, he's got like a, lot, this, a lot of time. I like this question because I, too, think that it's a bad look for Harper. Now, I get it. His agent's doing his job, and that's what he does. But for me, this is the sticking point. If Harper has won a World Series, I think it's fine. You can ask for the money. I've done what I came to do. I won the World Series. But you've come up short twice. So to say I've come up short twice and then ask for more, are you then preventing John Middleton to spend to help you win this World Series that you're yearning to get? I feel like you have to wait until you at least win the World Series or you're getting closer to the end. He still has like six years left on the deal. Now, I would turn it around to you as you ask this nugget there, Nick. Yeah. And I was talking to John Marks about this earlier. He was on in the 3 o'clock hour. And John brought up a point that, like, if you extend them but pay them the same amount of money and you just extend them, I might be okay with that as opposed to him getting a raise. Right. Because so the whole thing is having the flexibility to in continue to improve the team. Right. That's the whole object here, right? You want to have money to pay other players. And that was kind of the argument today in the Inquirer article that came out was, like, what about guys like Kyle Schwarber? If two years left on their deal, like, what, what about those guys who are up for contract extension? in the near future when uh, you know you have all the all this time left on the deal so for me it's like with Bryce Harper you got to go into this saying all right you've done a lot for this city you also have to remember he's gotten hurt over the past couple of years too he hasn't been able to stay completely healthy so that's another argument the Phillies could come with the Browski could come with that as well and this is the problem when you don't have an opt-out and Scott Boris who negotiated this contract was in charge of this contract as Bryce's agent. I mean, that's a problem you were going to have. Like, if you're going to commit to this city long term, you can't just say, hey, I want a new contract, a restructured deal. That, that's something that can't happen. I get he's the 25th highest AAV in uh, the entire league. But overall, like, you got to wait for a contract. Like, there's you got to win first. And I'm I'm with you on that, Mike, for You've sure. you got to at least be within, like, two years to the end. Like, if you sign a 10-year yeah. deal and you've played eight and you say, I've outperformed, fine. You've played – you're entering six. You haven't even played six yet. And you have seven left to go, and you're saying, I want more. <laughs> well, listen, you've been hurt. Good point by you. And you've come up short not – because of you, but the team has come up short twice. Do you want the payroll flexibility for us to continue to be able to make moves, or do you want more money? I think it's a bad look by Harper, but I don't know. Is Harper pushing for this, or is it more his agent? We don't know. I think it's probably going to be, I'm going to go the sides, probably more his agent, but who knows? We'll see how that rolls out through the rest of the spring and the season. All right, nugget number two, I got to go Wit versus Rojas with the Phillies. Center field, it's going to be an interesting place to start the season for me. So last year with Merrifield, uh, slash 262, 308 OBP, uh, 687 OPS, had a 92 OPS plus over the last couple of seasons with Kansas City and Toronto. Johan Rojas. So we knew he came up last year, right? He comes up from double A 
plays really well in center field, has a nice glove out in center field. We know his defense is well. Uh, in the regular season, 149 at-bats. But in the playoffs, that's when he was a little bit exposed, right? Uh, batted under 143 at-bats, had issues in the nine-hole, but that's when people were kind of going off the Johan Rojas train. Yeah. So for me, it's Witt versus Rojas. Whit Merrifield has accepted the role as a utility guy, not going to be a starter every day, but I'm looking at this matchup in the spring. Johan Rojas, we've seen the pictures of him on social media getting a little bit bigger throughout uh, the offseason. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think he starts in AAA depending on how bad of a spring or how good of a spring he is. Oh, okay. So I don't know about that. I don't think I agree there. I think with the Mars so? situation, him not being like 100% and maybe missing time, I think Rojas starts in center field. Here's the thing. I, Merrifield has played some center field. Not a whole heck of a lot. Like, can he stand out there and play center field? Sure. You don't want him out there every single day. I think he's more like, hey, you need a day off. He can play center field. He's primarily a left fielder as an outfielder. I mean, he can play the other. So I don't look at him as a realistic option. In fact, in the outfield, he's played uh, 84 games as a uh, center fielder. So it, it, by far, it's his le- uh, least amount of games uh, in center field. He's played second base almost, you know, more than, than anything else. But in the outfield, he's been left field more than anything. So I think Rojas is going to be the guy. I, I do. And, and Marsh's injury, I think, solidifies that. The question for me, is it a straight platoon between Merrifield and and Marsh, and that that's where Merrifield gets most of his at-bats against left-handed pitching. And then, like, one day here, I think he plays second, so they give Stott a day off. One day there, he goes to right field so that Castellanos doesn't have to play every single day. But, like, to me, he gives you a professional that is filling in as opposed to Jake Cave uh, (laughs) and that crew of guys who were playing, like, last year, and you're like, I don't need Jake Cave in the lineup here. So he gives you a professional who can fill in for others, platoon at a spot, but I don't – I think Rojas will play and and, and be the guy. Now, last year – he had 302. He had a 342 on base percentage. Yeah. Those numbers are outstanding. I don't know that he has that. Now, in the playoffs, he got exposed. And the whole playoff thing was in the fourth inning, do you hit for him? Here's the problem I have with that whole situation. They didn't have anybody to hit for him. And this is where yeah. Merrifield comes in. Because if they had Merrifield last year, that's where you would hit Merrifield. He could have hit in that spot and then played in the field, in left field, and you could have moved Pache or, or Marsh over to play center. Yeah, because, I mean, Pache is more of a project-type player. They they get him from the A's originally in the Atlanta system. And you have Jake Cave. This kind of solidifies their bench. I like the signing of Whit Merrifield. I'm just very curious to see what happens in spring. And the thing with Marsh, if he's ready for opening day, is he going to be in left? And who's going to be in center? That's just my my take on it. If Marsh is healthy... Then do you have Witt, if Witt's hitting really well during the spring and Rojas is not, you want to start him in AAA to get him more at bats? I don't know. That's just an option for opening day, in my estimation, in center field. Yep. Uh, and listen, I think the Marsh injury clouded that situation, and now that he won't get at bats because one of the things that Dave Dombrowski said mm-hmm. was last year, Harper, Schwarber. JT, Trey Turner, Walker, Suarez, those guys were all playing in the World Baseball Classic. And he said he didn't think they all got enough at-bats and innings to be ready for the season to start. And therefore, a lot of those guys got off to slow starts. So Marsh could be in that category where he doesn't get enough uh, spring training at-bats. 
Yeah, we'll definitely see what is upcoming opening day. All right, nugget number three, staying with the Phillies, my final Phillies point, uh, dancing on my own. This has been a contentious thing on social media. It's been talked about. <laughs> These are great Sh- topics so far. I like this one. Go ahead. Yeah. Should it come back next year? Now, Bryson Stott did an interview with John Clark of NBC Sports Philadelphia, and he was quoted saying, I don't think so. But Garrett Stubbs also did an interview in the offseason talking about they, he wasn't really sure. He didn't give a clear answer. So I'm asking you, Mike Gill and Josh Henning, is dancing on my own? Should it come back? All right. So I, I, we, I had this conversation, but this is why you might have to think it should come back. Okay. My girlfriend, not a baseball fan, but has loved the playoffs. We went to Phillies Marlins. Stott hits the grand slam. She's in the crowd half hour after the game. Place is singing, dancing on my own. <laughs> so if you are trying to market to the people who generally are not fans, that song pulled people in and together. And if you want them to have that memory of the good times, now you would say, but they didn't win the, the championship. You got to move on. Now you're targeting the hardcore. So if you're targeting the masses, I think it stays. But if you're targeting the hardcore, then it's got to go. The vibes for me, it, it brought good vibes throughout the ballpark and throughout the city and the area, right? I think it's got to stay because it's a classic song. They were winning games. They've won series. They beat Atlanta twice. Here's the they thing. They won the NLCS. They got to keep it. I think they got to keep it. Here's the thing. The song is only a part of the playoff run. It is not right. like a regular season thing. So I think exactly. the regular season, it doesn't appear. And then playoffs come back. The song is back. The place is back. And it recaptures everybody. Look, the magic of the playoffs is it's amazing. Winning the World Series is epic, but it's not a guarantee. But you want to have something that gives you the warm and fuzzies, and that song does it. Yeah, it has to. It definitely does. I don't think it just defines one season. I think this song will define the era of Phillies baseball. Not just the, not just the one year that they went to the World Series and last year. No, no, no. It defines the era and this team that's kind of in the core together. So that's why I think you got to keep it. Well, right. And it's not like you get rid of Bryce Harper because he right. didn't win the World Series. The song <laughs> and Harper are interchangeable. They're the same. They're, They're one all the same, part of the run. <laughs> It's all part of the era, all part of the run in this core that the Phillies have as of right now and hopefully into next year and beyond. All right, one final nugget. I'm going to switch to basketball. Doc Rivers, got to bring him up. He is on a generational excuse run right now. It has been unbelievable, the quotes that have come out of Doc Rivers' mouth. I mean, he's talking about when he was with Kawhi, like, and he's complaining that, okay, uh, I didn't, I, it was going to be a really hard and tough job to take over a team mid-season. Like, like I'm paraphrasing, but what kind of excuse run, quote run is Doc Rivers on right now? I, I, aren't we glad that he's not in Philadelphia anymore? Are we, am I right? Am I right, Mike Gill? I am happy that he's not here. Absolutely. The JJ Reddick stuff on him the other day was like, listen, enough already. <laughs> it's always something like players get traded, you know, he's like, and so JJ goes off. The thing that I thought was interesting is there's always two sides because there were people that took Doc's side here and, and kind of questioned J.J. Like, hey, you had your best years playing for Doc. That doesn't mean he can't have these opinions of saying, like, hey, I like playing for Doc. But, hey, Doc, 
the team's struggling, and you're always saying it's something else. It's not me. Now, he got put into a tough situation. This is why I find the whole Pat Beverly thing, oh, they're more committed to win a championship. That team's a dumpster fire right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're kidding me to tell me you fired your coach, you brought a new coach in who is saying he wishes he wasn't even here until after. I mean, I can't understand it, but the whole Doc Rivers thing, I am perplexed at that whole situation of that. He said he wishes he didn't get hired. Or he he asked to come in after the All-Star break. You were consulting the team to fire Griffin. Come on, dude. Like, reality check here. This was a team that was at the top of the stand when they fired Griffin. He comes in. He It's not like he's coming into a team that's at the bottom of the barrel in the stand that has Giannis Antetokounmpo. They have Damian Lillard. Like, this is a really good team, and just the excuse making is off the charts right now. And, uh, you know, I just, to make it like, oh, it's such a challenge to come in midseason. What about a player that gets traded? And I think that was the argument that J.J. Redick was making. Like, a player gets traded midseason. I know it's difficult to coach too, but you gotta stop with the excuses. You're supposed to be the leader of the team, and he's out here making all these type of comments in the media. It's just unbelievable. I can't take it anymore, Mike. And he's not even Philly. Uh, Sixers tonight. No Doc Rivers. They will see Doc Rivers, though, <laughs> on Sunday. And you can hear that game right here on 97.3 ESPN. Doc will be back in Philly uh, as the Sixers take on the Bucks Tonight, Sixers-Knicks. You can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. You can hear Nick on Saturdays in the locker room and check out the podcast. The newest episode of The Shift is out. You can get that on all social media and, of course, podcasting platforms. Nick will be back tomorrow with more nuggets. Today he gave us a four-pack and I enjoyed all four. I used the hot honey mustard sauce on those <laughs> nuggets there, Nick. Thanks, man. Yeah, no worries, Mike. You guys have a good one, all right? Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. That's producer Nick Earnshaw and uh, new segment debuting today. Nick's Nuggets will be back on Fridays and Mondays right here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, when we come back, I got more of your text messages. I'll read them off and react, plus Devon Givens at 5 o'clock. It's this. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Sixers back in action tonight against the Knicks. You can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill, 609-403-0973. couple text messages. Mike, every year it's the same tired talk about the Sixers. Sixers have a beat. No one can match him. Blah, blah, blah. Different drama every season. Same results in the playoffs. When is the light bulb going to come on? You can change the furniture on the Titanic, but the same result. And beat is a great scorer, not a winner. It might prove to be true. However, I don't remember LeBron James winning the championship his first eight years in the league. And then he all of a sudden won a championship. Now, I know he left to go to another team. And maybe that's what Joel needs to do. But to suggest that Joel isn't good enough to win a championship is preposterous. 
There's a lot of guys out there. It's not like Kevin Durant has won the title every single year he's played, right? You know, he was in Oklahoma City all those years. Was he not good enough to win the title? Of course he was good enough to win the title. He just wasn't ready to win the title. To suggest because someone hasn't done something means they can't do something is quite naive. And that response by that text message is about as naive as they come. That is suggesting that if you don't win a championship your rookie year through your fifth year in the league or eighth year in the league, that there is no championship in your future. Joel Embiid is quite capable of winning the title. What he is not capable of doing is staying healthy. And if he gets healthy, well, the Sixers have a shot. Until that point, you're right. And when he gets healthy, he might prove us all wrong. Sports Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN. Speaking of the Sixers, we're going to talk with Devon Givens, who covers the Sixers for PHLY. And the Sixers are back in action tonight against the Knicks. And you can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN South Jersey's official Sixers station. Sixers, Knicks right now. If the playoffs were to start, that would be the matchup you would get. Four versus five. Sixers-Knicks, a playoff preview tonight. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. Uh, just after five, don't forget Sixers-Knicks tonight. The Sixers return. No Joel Embiid, but is there a more positive vibe around the big man? We'll talk to Devon Givens, PHLY. Talk Sixers here on the Sports Bash. Sixers busy out of the break here. And it's important. Knicks, Cavs, Bucks, Celtics. It's four teams directly ahead of them in the standings. And this could be really a could set the, the tone for what this team might be without Joel Embiid. If they go 0-4, you could be looking at a play-in team. But if they can stay afloat here, they probably can stay afloat the rest of the way, Devon Givens. Do you agree about these next four games maybe setting the tone for the second half of this season? Mike, you would like for them, ideally, to go 2-2, two and two, right? Start off right here with this back-to-back tonight against New York on your home floor. And then a Cleveland team that you beat before the All-Star break in Cleveland where you stunned a lot of basketball fans with how they played against that that hot Cleveland Cavaliers team that had won, I believe, at that point, eight, nine in a row. They were the hottest team in the NBA. So if they can take two of these next four games, as you just mentioned, because they are some crucial games with Sunday against Milwaukee here at home and then on the road against Boston next Tuesday – that would be great. And, again, the, the key point here is you have three of those games on your home floor. They have always been very good. Even when Joel Embiid has not played in those games, Mike, they've always been good on their home court. So if they can do that, pull that off, then that might, to your point, give us a really good indication of what this team might be over the next final 28 games. Yeah, obviously uh, the Knicks tonight, if the playoffs were to start, they'd be playing the Knicks. You got Cleveland, as you mentioned, they knocked them off this Bucks thing. You don't know what this Bucks team is right now and who they are. And then, of course, the Celtics. You got four teams directly ahead of them in the standings. But, Devon, what I want to ask you is, it's only been four games with Buddy Heald, but what are you seeing in terms of how they've infiltrated him? And then, 
what they might look like in your mind with him, forget Joel, with the rest of the pieces that have been out? Well, when you and I talked before the All-Star break, uh, us three, we all talked about how they might change the offense if they decide to go in a different direction with how they want to run the offensive sets, different style of play led by Tyrese Maxey. They've since acquired Buddy Hill, Buddy Hill with the shooting. We talked about the example of Ilya Sova and Bellinelli, J.J. Redick, as the shooting to change things with Joel Embiid off the floor at that time in 2018. And here we are right now where it's a similar thing. So credit to you where we discussed that of maybe changing the style of play that, that they might have to go with without the big fella on the floor. And the, the thing that I've seen so far, and it might change a little bit because of getting some other players back from injury and illness, is Buddy Hill's playmaking also, Mike. The way that he's been averaging seven and a half assists in these four games to go along with the scoring punch that they're getting from him where he's averaging 20 points. He's shooting the ball well, as we know. And even if he doesn't shoot at a great clip in the game, let's say he goes 4-4-11, he's getting 11 three-pointers up. So he's making them defend him on a perimeter, making them think about how they're going to do it. And if they're going to aggressively close out, he's going to put the ball on the floor like we've seen. So I think what we are going to continue to see is that up-and-down style of play, maybe not to the extent of what we see from the Indiana Pacers that break that type of speed, but have that speed with the way that they do things in the open floor, having some finishers there, and then also in the half court where you still can run those dribble handoffs, run those pin downs for players like Buddy Hill and even Tyrese Maxey. And now you're going to include the question of Kyle Lowry and what DeAnthony Melton will bring you if he's back out there on the floor as well. And the rotation really starts to set itself up for a up-and-down style of play and what Buddy Hill brings to the floor. It's been fun so far. Let's see if they can continue to do it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Devon Givens is our guest, Sixers insider for PHLY Sixers. And, uh, like, Buddy, it's funny because, you like, why are all these teams always getting rid of Buddy? I mean, you didn't have a great year with Indiana. They put him on the bench. He's only averaging under 13 a game. And then today I heard, um, like, Tim Legler mentioned something about how many looks Buddy would get with Joel here and Maxie and the amount of clean looks he will get. And I thought to myself, who has Buddy played with in the past that would allow him to kind of accentuate his game to another level? And I thought, well, really nobody. I mean, Buddy's always kind of been the volume shooter or scorer most places he has been. And then in Indiana, they kind of just said, "Uh, you're not fitting in here. They didn't have a big man to kind of give him clean looks. But I wonder, in your mind, is healed because Brian Windhorst said something today about, hey, the Sixers made the trade for healed with the thought that Embiid would come back. And did they see that if healed can get these clean looks, that he could become a much better shooter and scorer than we've seen in his other stops? The other stops were mostly guard-driven. De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, for that matter, in Sacramento. And then once he got to Indiana, it was with Tyrese Halliburton uh, becoming the franchise player. Buddy Hill still a part of it, but a franchise player. Miles Turner, to your point, not the type of big man that's going to draw, draw all of that attention. So here in this in this spot, he's getting the uh, clean looks. He's also, as I mentioned, ball handling. But when Embiid does come back to the point that you're making, yes, he's going to get so many different looks because he's going to be the third option. He's going to be the best shooter uh, out there for the team, 
getting the looks that he's looking because of the attention that Joel Embiid is going to draw, the attention that Tyrese Maxey is also going to draw. And we even talked about it this way, too, on, uh, on our show, Mike, kind of going back to the point that we discussed before the trade that I and you and I was having those same type of plays. We didn't know who the person was going to be, but the same type of plays. Think back to J.J. Reddick, Seth Curry, those types of pin downs that they would have coming off the big shoulders, the two-man dribble handoffs coming down off that, that screen that Joel Embiid is setting where Buddy Heal is arguably, right, a better overall player than the both of them because of his ability to put the ball on the floor. So you're absolutely right. For whatever reason in those situations, no big man like Joel Embiid. First of all, there's not too many like Joel Embiid <laughs> or Nikola Jokic in the NBA for that matter. But in this particular case, Sometimes it's about situation and opportunity, right, Mike? And for him, situation and opportunity, yes, free agent year, all that type of stuff. But situation opportunity, maybe he needed to be on the floor with a guy who is very, very adept at scoring and better playmaking now at point guard like Tyrese Maxey is, but also playing with a guy that demands so much attention that can get 33 by himself yeah. uh, uh, as, as the player that Joel Embiid is. And now he's going to get the the, uh, the the leftovers, if you will, from what they don't have. And if if Ty, if Tobias Harris doesn't snatch that, I think Buddy Hill will gladly take on those reins. I was like yeah, meh about the deal, and then as I'm like looking at him play more, and and then saying, you know, you put Joel Embiid here, the looks that he's going to get, I, I've certainly become more optimistic about him being a third guy, because what you just hinted at, that he could be the third guy who's the willing shooter and scorer on the nights that maybe Joel's getting doubled or Tyrese is struggling and Harris has not been that guy in the playoffs, maybe he'll say, hey, I'll shoot it. I got no problem jacking up 11 yeah. threes in the game. Um, yeah. I want to get your take. Devon Givens, PHLY, covers the Sixers. Are you getting positive vibes for for you about Embiid? And all of a sudden, you know, Nick came out and said, "Hey, we're, you know, we hope to have him back." A lot of the right. narrative starts to sound like he could be coming back. Are you at the point where you're like, "I think Joel's going to come back and be able to play"? I don't want to say a lot of regular season games, but some regular season games. Are you there yet? I, I've I've allowed myself to get there by listening to the people say things publicly hearing just conversations you may have behind the scenes of why they did it the way that they did it. Yep. And him not forcing himself back on the floor, him not forcing himself back on the floor, Mike, quite frankly, for the All-Star game, right? We've seen that before where players will play through an injury simply because they want to play in that uh, in that All-Star game. So he did not do any of that. And what he has done is, as Nick Nurse even talked about, how he's, he was in the building on Tuesday for their first practice post-All-Star to kind of get a feel of what the gym was like, to get a feel of what his new teammates are, are like as well. So that leads me to believe, while I'm more on the positive side, I'm more on the plus side of I think he does return, to what you just talked about, how many games do they need? How many games does he need to really ramp it up to get ready for the postseason? You hope that for their sake they can stay in that top six and avoid the play And as you talked about, there's a lot of – uh, jockeying for these final few spots right now. New York is in front of them tonight, which is a big game. And Mike, they're half game back of, of the New York Knicks. And think about that before when New York jumped all the way to number two in the East because they were winning seven, eight games in a row and, and playing the way that they were playing. But right now they're currently dealing with injuries the, the exact same way. 
Cleveland, once again, the Sixers knocked them off right before the All-Star break. Could they take care of business on Friday here at home? And if they're able to do all of that, as we talked about at the very top, and stay within there, maybe not at 500, because I don't think they're going to win 14 out of 28 with the schedule that they have. But if they can win maybe 10, right, 11, and stay within that, and Joel then comes back for those final few to get his legs underneath him, I think they would be in pretty good shape. And, again, just to answer your question once again, I am a little more optimistic that there's a really good chance that he could come back for the end of the season going into the playoffs. Now, Devon, I don't know if you did the deep dive on this, but I will say I don't know how many games in your mind you want to see Joel, you know, because here's the problem. He comes back and plays three games. Like, where is he at in the playoffs? Is he fully cardio-wise? Is our legs under him? Like, I don't know if there's a number, but I will say this. From about March 10th on, their road trips are brutal. I mean, they got three in the road, two home, four on the West Coast, one at home, two on the road, one back at home, three on the road. Like, there's no spot to kind of fit him in where he's not traveling a lot or having to play like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the back end of this schedule, road trips are brutal. Yeah, we did this also on the show and we talked about after that West Coast trip where they play the Clippers and the Lakers and then come home, right? Yeah, Clippers, and, uh, Suns, Clippers, Suns, Lakers, Clippers, Sacramento, one game at home against the Clippers and then back on the road for two before they get one at home and then three on the road. Yeah, so it was more about after that West Coast trip, come home, play the Clippers, maybe he can go on the road, avoid any of those back-to-backs, uh, right, Mike? But he's practicing and he's maybe able to get some some work done even on those those days where he cannot play but they are again they use their own words the ramp up period so if he can't play in the games as long as they're doing some things to make sure that he is good to go for the activity that he needs to have when he's not playing in the actual games and when he goes out there maybe they have him on some sort of minute restriction to not overdo it as they do get him prepared for that postseason so the target to your point is that West Coast trip, once they come back, play the Clippers at home, and then hopefully get to go from there and see what they can get out of him to get ready for the playoffs. That would give him about 10 games before the playoffs. I feel, I would feel pretty comfortable that if he could play great. 10. Yeah, if he could play that 10 be games between now, uh, obviously not now, between the end of the season and the playoffs, I should say. If he could play 10. And look, if he does 10, if, if we're looking at that 10, he's probably not playing in all 10, but he's available. So if he can play in seven to eight of those ten, miss a few, and still and there's get no ready. back-to-backs in there either. From that point well, then, on, there's no back-to-back. Yeah. So well, then the ten ten might be ideal. Then that would be perfect. I mean, to me, if he gets ten, he gets ten games in, gets ready for the playoffs. The question, I guess, I would re- then circle back to you is: We talked about healed. We think they're going to get Batum. Is Batum playing tonight? Do you know yet? Uh not. Not done yet as of yet. It looked like he was leaning more towards playing, but not yet. Gotcha. And then Harris is, but I mean, they've missed, they've been missing more than just Joel here. But if they can get the full brigade without Joel, in your mind, can they stay afloat? Can they keep it to where they're not a play-in team and they're still in play for a top four seed? Yeah. So, uh, top four, I, I, I will. In play, yes, but I guess for me it's more the five or six. And as you as you ask that, and 
I look at Nick Nurse now when I go in this direction, Mike, because I think could he make a difference? As much as the whole Doc Rivers thing is going crazy right now, and <laughs> even when he was here, the one thing that Doc Rivers did when he didn't have his star players is they played well. They he coached them. He they did play well, and we're seeing the same thing here from Nick Nurse. He's had a few. But, you know, he's had so many players out of the lineup, it's really hard to get on Nick Nurse and say we haven't really seen him win any games. But guess what? When they got Buddy Hill and campaign after the trade deadline, look how they competed. They were in every game. They lost that Miami game for, what, five points, six points? And that was at the end. They were in that until the last three minutes of the basketball game, and they just ran out of gas. They didn't have enough to combat what Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo did on the opposite side. And that's just the way that it went that particular night. But they have competed. So if we're looking at and believing, and I know you and I have been on the same page and we've been along the same lines, if Nick Nurse is who we think he is and the coach that we gave him credit for with that 28-13 and 13 record before B really went down, then I think he can keep them afloat and find ways to tinker with his roster, his rotation, to give them a chance in every game to get to the spot that you're talking about anywhere between that four and six seed in the East. Uh, Devon Givens, PHLY Sixers, is with us. One guy we haven't talked about I think is going to debut tonight is Lowry. What is your expectations for him and his role, what he brings? I mean, um, I don't I don't know what to think about Lowry at this point. Where do you see him fitting in and what he brings and can do for this team? Because um, – you know, I think campaign has actually done a pretty nice job, but I would imagine his sure. minute, how that's going to ha- work. I- I'm interested to see. Yeah, I am too, because he does have the relationship with Nick Nurse. And is Nick Nurse going to lean too much on him, especially being down Joella B, maybe DeAnthony Melton? Is he going to lean heavily on him for minutes that he can't provide him in the same way that we've seen in the past? He's no longer the six time All Star. That's going to come out and be an all-star game this season and next season. That's not who he is anymore, but he still does have, Mike, the experience, uh, the reputation as a leader, a championship under his belt. He already knows what Nick Nurse runs, both offensively and defensively, so there's nothing that he has to do there to catch up. It's just more about getting back in shape. When we were at the gym yesterday and he spoke, I believe he said his last game was January, somewhere about the 18th or 19th something along those lines. So for him, you know, he hasn't played basketball in a month. So right now, just getting his legs back underneath him, we know he's a smart basketball player, Mike. So with that, he's not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize his time out there on the floor with his teammates. He's going to make the winning play. He's going to make the right pass. He's going to take charges. Who takes charges on this team, Mike? Nobody. So he's going to take charges. He's going to do all those little things to help this team out. So, Right now, I'm thinking positive, and you know how it is, too. Look at the criticism with Marcus Morris coming home. He played well when he was here. He had more ups than he did downs in the games, especially when he had to step up in a role where maybe he shouldn't have been at this stage of his career. And he also got that boost talking to people around him from playing at home in front of his family and friends for the first time wearing the hometown team uniform. And I think you might get that. Maybe you get that right out of the gate from Kyle Lowry. Maybe you get it five games later where it's sustainable for a good stretch. And then then once we get to the postseason, they may come down a little bit, but they're meaningful when he's out there when Nick Nurse calls his number. All right, Devon Givens, PHLY Sixers. Uh, tonight, Sixers and Knicks. Uh, for you, I know we got time, we got games, and they're probably jockeying, but is there an odd man out of the rotation? Because... With Joel back, the one thing this team has not been in the past, 
is very deep. The bench has not been a big help. But I would imagine Nick Nurse is going to have a tough decision to make over these next few games, you know, 30 games of what is rotation if you're going eight to nine deep? There's got to be an odd man out somewhere. Yeah, but can he do that with Joel Embiid out, to your point? Because he's not there. Normally when you have your full complement, that's when you start to knock it down to that eight, nine man rotation occasionally that 10 is no more going deep into your bench but right now he might have to he might have to depending on the way the game is going call that number of number one kj martin call number five now mo bamba call 16 of ricky council the fourth he might have to when he didn't really expect it to be that case a few weeks ago but now he has to keep them somewhere around in that rotation. So I wouldn't really rule it out just because, again, the Anthony Melton, we don't know how many games consecutively, consecutively Mike, he can play. We don't know with Nick Batum dealing with the soft tissue injury of a hamstring at his age when he might have to miss some time. Robert Covington isn't even back, and I'm pretty sure, like you, you would probably have him in that next five coming off the bench as part of the ten. He hasn't played in over a month and some change either. So I don't think right now that that gets knocked down until they have I'll, I'll throw to you. their players back. I'll throw to you, D. I had Hudrick on a couple, you know, maybe a week ago, and I asked him, he thought Ubre might be the odd man out if they cut it down to like eight or nine, uh, that he's just been so erratic recently that he might be the guy that gets cut out of the playoff rotation. I was pretty surprised to hear that. Yeah, I wouldn't go there just because of his scoring ability. Maybe the minutes knocked down, but the, you still don't have anybody that can score like him where you might need a stretch of three, four minutes where a guy can just flat out get you a bucket. He has been up and down, and it has not been great. But we also saw a 28-point game that they lost, but he played very well. Pardon me, that they won against Washington, but yeah. and he played very well. So you, he, he was 10 for 14 in that game. He followed it up with a not-so-great game. But the point is, it's in there. So it would be very tricky to pull that plug on Kelly Oubre and keep him out of the lineup when you ask the question, sure, that may not be the primary thing that you want, but he definitely has it in him where I can't call on Martin Jr. or Kyle Lowry or even DeAnthony Melton to come in and be that scorer. All right. Well, what about a guy you just had on the PHLY Sixers podcast Ricky Council the fourth, who's yeah, starting to say, what about me? And Ricky has that confidence. I'm sure you've seen him speak and talk, and you see him on the floor with his, his reaction to things as he gets excited after making a very good play. He believes, Mike, that he has done everything that they've asked. Now, he hasn't said, he didn't say in our sit down with him that he felt like he needed to have those minutes. It was just more of I did everything that the coaches asked of me, and I hope that I've that I've done enough that they feel comfortable calling my name going forward. All he could do is go out there and play, whether it's the points scored or anything. It's more about the effort, the energy, the rebounding, the small things, all the little intangibles to help the team win. And that's what got him on the floor. That's what kept him on the floor. The yep. surprising part, Mike, has been the scoring and the putting the ball on the floor and getting an opportunity to finish at the basket or maybe even a jump shot from mid-range, taking a jump shot from the three-point range and making it. He just hopes that he can keep it keep it going where they trust him enough now over these this, this crucial stretch to continue to call his number and get out there and be with his teammates. 
All right, uh, Devon Givens, uh, you can check him out on PHLY. Their podcast is excellent. Uh, probably right now, for my money, uh, the best Sixers talk in the city if you're a big Sixer fan and you got to get it. Uh, when do you guys go live and what do you do uh, for the people out there that are trying to find you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, game days, we are post-game. Uh, normally, we are just, just post-game. But tonight, Mike, actually tonight, we're doing a pre-game uh, to set things up for the second half of the season. So tonight... Go to PHLY Sports on YouTube, and you can find all of the team's podcasts, and especially as we talk at Sixers getting ready for tonight, you can find our pregame show that begins tonight at 6.30 right there on PHLY Sports. And on non-game days, we start our show at 2.30. Again, PHLY Sports on YouTube. And make sure you go out right now and check out the conversation about 15, 16 minutes that we had with Ricky Council, the fourth, at the training complex in Camden. It was a fun conversation talking about his siblings, his shooting mechanics, uh, all kinds of fun. What he did during the All-Star break is all available right there on YouTube at PHLY Sports. Good stuff. Uh, I like what you guys are doing, and, of course, always love talking hoops with you, Devon, my man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike, as always. Appreciate it, man. All right, Devon Givens, everybody, PHLY Sixers. They're, they're doing great stuff over there. Really enjoy the YouTube stuff. And uh, you can hear him, uh, as he said, tonight at 6.30. They'll have a little pregame to get you ready. I gave him a little primer for his pregame there, so now he's ready to go talking Sixers here on the Sports Bash. Mike Gill with you till 6 o'clock tonight. Yeah, we got Sixers and Knicks for you here on 97.3 ESPN as the Sixers return. As we just said, I don't know who's in and who's out yet. I'll try to do a quick look at uh, if any of the announcements have been made. They're usually right around 5.30. You'll you'll see the, the injury stuff uh, because there's a lot. You got Batum, you got um, Harris, and anybody else who's kind of been in limbo over the last couple of weeks. So we'll see if the Sixers can get back to full strength and get themselves ready for this second half run. But this stretch of four, very telling. Knicks tonight, Cavs tomorrow, and then this weekend, Bucks Tuesday, Celtics. You can hear all four games on 97.3 ESPN. We have the perfect... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. So our buddy Paul Hudrick just tweeted out the starters for tonight. We'll get that to you in just a second. Sixers. And the Knicks, you can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. Josh will be talking to our Sixers insider, Austin Krell, tonight. We just talked to Devon Givens from PHLY Sixers. Good stuff from him. It's time for today's Big Three. Yeah, Mike, I want to get into the news that just basically dropped while we were in the break there, which is Nick Nurse didn't just tell us who's playing tonight, but he gave us some insight into who's going to be playing moving forward. So for those who don't know, tonight it'll be Tyrese Maxey, Buddy Heald, Nick Batum, Tobias Harris, and Paul Reed. Now, 
that first of all answers your question you had to Devon Givens, Mike, about is Batum back. So that's one guy who has missed some time back in the line. Let's first touch on that. Your thoughts on Batum back. Uh, Batum's a key. He's like a glue guy here. He's the kind of guy that, like, if they have him, they're a different team. And I know it sounds crazy. He's not a big scorer. He's not a big this. But he does all the little. He is what you were hoping P.J. Tucker was. Right. With, I would say this, I think P.J. Tucker in the playoffs last year showed you a little bit more value than he did during the 82 games, but that's what Nick Batum is. He'll hit a three, he'll get a deflection, he'll make a big pass, he can change and defend, he's not going to be loading up the stat sheet, but he's going to, he's not going to fill it up, but he's going to certainly be a everywhere. He's going to get your rebounds, he's going to get a tip, he's going to get a steal, he's going to get an assist. So, to me... He's the guy that pulls it all together. It's like going in a room and you're like, ah, the color, that color is pulling everything together. I know that sounds very um, HGTV-ish of me there, but he's the color that pulls the whole room together. Nick Batum. Yeah, he's the glue. If you want to say it in that terms. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go more... Uh... Less HGTV and more I'm sitting at the bar in this situation. We could change roles for a second, Mike. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there that watch HGTV. I'm not one of them. You're not one of them. I know. (laughs) I know my audience. I think a lot of guys out there watch HGTV and they just don't say it. Because everybody I know that I've come across, they all know Chip and Joanna. Do you? I know who they are, yes. Okay, well, so does everybody listening. But I know them more for being boosters than their HGTV <laughs> Well, I mean, that's where they got their notoriety from. Nobody knows who they are. I don't know them as boosters. I know them for me. Now, I know them now as boosters. Okay, <laughs> so you so you saw the show first. Yeah. Then you learned. Well, oh, my by buddy the way. Paul, who I see at the Radio Row every year, he does a show. He did a show in, in, in Waco. Okay. And he still does do a show in Waco, but he does it on just YouTube now. He doesn't do radio anymore. But... You know, he, he laughs because everybody's like, oh, Chip and Joanna. But, like, you know, they know him from HGTV. They didn't, they don't know him as, like, Baylor University grads. But go ahead. My, my reference is, like, um, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> the point is, is that Nick Batum is the, is the guy that brings everybody together and helps make everything work. And that's why he's valuable to this team. The second part of the but, news... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, but the, the next part of the news I find to be more interesting. Although Batum is very important. Right. So the second part of the news I wanted to hit on was the fact that what Nick Nurse said is the off-guard spot in the starting lineup will be up for grabs among... Now, I want everyone to hear all four of these names and process this, yeah. okay? By the way, he knows the answer to the question already. He's lying here. Who's that? Oh, oh Nurse. Nurse, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Buddy Heald, Kyle Lowry, DeAnthony Melton, and Kelly Oubre. Those are going to be the four that Nick Nurse says the off-guard spot will be up for grabs. Um, all right, so this is the starting lineup tonight. Maxi Heald, Batum, Harris, Reed. And he's saying the off-guard spot, which tonight is Heald, is up for grabs with Lowry, Melton, and Oubre. Melton is not playing tonight. He'll be back tomorrow, according right. to Keith Pompey. So, to me, it's Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald will probably be the starter. I don't see Lowry in contention for this at all. Um, Melton, maybe. But I think Melton is more a come off the bench. Uh, and Ubre to me, is out. Uh, he, he is not part of the, this thing. To me, it's Buddy Heald. Uh, it's Heald, maybe Melton. 
I don't think it's Oubre because I think Oubre is interchangeable as like the off guard, but he can also maybe spot Harris some minutes. Right. I, I feel like this is pretty easy. It's Maxi, Heald, Batum, Harris, and Embiid. That's your starting five. And as I talked about with Devon Givens, now he doesn't agree with our friend Paul Hudrick, who says he thinks Oubre would be out of the rotation, but I will say this. Somebody between Heald, Lowry, Melton, and Ubre have to be like you can't play all four of those guys to get to get quality playoff minutes, right? I think that's where it gets into Lowry and Payne. The question that you asked Devon Givens about, you know, how does that impact those two guys? And you guys talk about how look, Kyle Lowry has a history with Nick Nurse, so maybe Nurse and Lowry that familiarity will elevate his minutes maybe more than another team. Yeah. Um, I just don't see Lowry as a starter at this stage, especially as an off guard. That's another right. thing. Kyle Lowry is not an off guard. He's always been a point guard. He's always been the point guard. Now, unless you told me Lowry will be the point guard and Maxie's going to go to the two, maybe, but I don't see that happening either. Right. I could see like a, a backup lineup coming in, like when the, when the starters go to the bench where it's like, Lowry, Melton, Oubre. I can see those three coming off the bench, but I don't see those guys filling into the starting lineup right now. Yeah, for me, I think Heald, as long as he continues to play well, that's the key. If Heald continues to play well, he'll be the guy. Because as Legler brought up earlier, if you have Joel Embiid and... Healed, how many good looks is Healed going to get? And he's the best shooter of that crew. Right. By far. I mean, by far. He's the best shooter, period, of that crew. So you want him getting as many minutes with Joel and Bede as you can, as you can humanly find. And I know you kind of like, you know, mentioned it in passing, but I did want to touch on separately as well. The Anthony Melton will play tomorrow, Mike. I think this is big news as well because Melton was a huge part of this team's success early in the season. And He's I, missed 17 straight games. And so with him coming back, I'm curious to see how many games does it take for him to get back up to speed. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's just good to get him in the rotation. He's a good player. He's a good defensive player. He was knocking shots down. He gives them more depth. That's the big thing. This team has more depth than they've ever had in their past. And getting Joel Embiid back coupled with the depth makes him, for my money, healthy. They're the second best team in the East. Hey, Mike, let's stick with the NBA here. So I want to touch on the topic with you because we haven't really talked about it here on the show, but it's been a national topic for those who haven't heard. So there is currently the newest chapter in the spat between Charles Barkley and Kevin Durant. So for those who were not watching, you probably weren't watching, I should say, the alternate TV cast on True TV. Oh, man, that I didn't see, but I did see the ratings for the All-Star game were actually the ratings for the All-Star game are, the are to me, mesmerizing. They were better than any game this season. They were better than the in-season championship game. They were better than the Christmas Day games. Everything. How many people were actually watching? How many people just had it on in the background? That's my question. I mean, if you have it on, I don't know. But it, to me, that's why the All-Star game is still on, because people keep watching. People keep watching. Yeah. Well, during the alternate telecast of the game, Charles Barkley had some... Choice words, we'll call it for Kevin Durant. He described Durant as very sensitive, part of a generation that can't be criticized, and said, no disrespect to Kevin. Kevin's a follower. He's not a leader. 
to which Draymond Green basically just affirmed nodding next to him because we know about Draymond and Durant's background. Well, Kevin Durant responded on his show, The Boardroom, him and his agent, Rich Kleiman. Durant said, I don't feel like people, I don't feel like I want people to call me a leader, but I also don't want people to say I'm a follower either. People don't know what goes on behind the scenes about my attentions or relationships. He went on to say, I'm not as charismatic as my peers. I don't have the personality to fit TV. You've got to sell what you're doing as well. And I haven't sold it enough. So your thoughts on the Durant Barkley spat round 20. Here's the problem when Barkley goes down that road is that he also asked to be traded out of Philadelphia. He always seems to like forget that. Look, the Sixers, and nobody really blames him for it. The Sixers got to a point they weren't winning. He wanted to be traded, and he went to Phoenix. Is he insinuating that that is forgotten about and that, look, I don't, Durant was my favorite player in the league, and when he went to Golden State, I completely lost respect for him, and I don't dislike the guy, but he's no longer the guy that I follow uh, as a non-Sixer player. Like, you know, I'm a Sixers fan. I follow the team, but there are players around the league I like to watch Durant's one of them. I just lost respect for what he did by going to Golden State. I think Barkley is looking at those type of situations and saying that he's not a leader, which, okay, I mean, he still has won a championship. He has, but according to Barkley, you know, he wasn't the leader of those teams. He was a guy who was a long ride. Now, what do you think about what Durant said? That That's the thing, like... Okay, maybe he wasn't the leader of those teams. He was just along for the ride. He's won two championships and an MVP, a finals MVP. Right. He's not going to not make the Hall of Fame because of it. I mean, so. (laughs) He's still one of the greatest scorers ever live. He's one of the greatest scorers and players. Now, you don't have to respect him as a competitor. Like, I mean, I, I take that. Like, I respect him as a competitor. I just, I don't understand. That's all. I can't. I just don't have that mentality. I can't come to terms with that. Does it fall into the same category where, as you have said in the past, like you don't understand why LeBron went to the Lakers? Sure. I mean, I can't understand wanting to be a competitor, but also wanting to compete with a team that I know is clearly the best. And I, you would say, well, you want to be on the best, but I want to beat the best. I don't want to. I get it. Somebody has to be the favorite, but I don't have to choose to go to the favorite. I can be, like my mentality is I want to be the team that beats the favorite or I believe that I am better than the favorite. And I feel like that's where Durant comes up short. What are your thoughts on finally Durant's comments saying that I'm not as charismatic as my peers. I haven't sold myself well enough. Eh, I mean, he just doesn't have a personality. I mean, that's all. I haven't sold myself as him saying, I'm not a charismatic guy. What do you want me to do? I wasn't, you know, I can't come out of a shell that I don't, if I don't want to. It's, a, it's kind of a trout thing. A little bit. That we've been talking about. That's just not Mike Trout's personality. Right. This is not who he wants to be. It's not, and it, but it does, shouldn't define him. No, it shouldn't. You know, Durant's still an all time great player, but it's interesting that this spat keeps going back and forth between Barkley and Durant with now Draymond Green. You know, adding his little spice to the pot. Mike, I got to say, I do like, I think Draymond is good on the, like the other night, for instance, he said that he didn't think um, Luca was going to try at all. 
Right. Like, he's like, he won't care at all about this game. And he was right. Yeah, he was right. I think Draymond Green is going to have an incredible career in media after he's done playing. That's what I'm saying. Like, I look forward to his truth. Because I think he's a guy who has no care and will speak the truth about yep. this guy is this, that guy's that, this is the way it is, this is what he is. And now I don't pay think me. He, yeah. <laughs> pay me to tell you the truth. Uh, Mike, speaking of getting paid, our final topic for the day. So, Mike, you had actually asked me this question a little bit earlier. So, because we saw Francis Ngannou on the television on Sports Center earlier, because you were kind of looking at me like, what is he doing on television? I haven't seen him in a while. So, for those who don't know, Francis Ngannou, the former UFC heavyweight champion, is no longer with the UFC. His next fight is actually still a boxing match. He is set to fight Anthony Joshua in a boxing match on March 8th. But it was announced today, the reason why he was on television was because he will face the winner of this weekend's Bellator versus PFL showdown between Ryan Bader and Henan Ferreira. So Ngannou will be fighting at least two times this year, Michael, have a boxing match next month, and then potentially this summer, according to the PFL press release, they are aiming for him either this summer or later this year to fight MMA. Well, first off, when I turned around and I saw Engano on there, I didn't realize he was boxing. I mean, I didn't know that he was still boxing. I thought it was like a one-off that right. he did. But I guess that went so well that he's now put himself – that shells. To, I don't. I don't want. That's not fair to say. Like Engano is obviously a great um, talent, right? But the fact that he has that's limited a good way to it, talent, that he has limited boxing in his background in terms of the professional level, correct? That he has already wedged himself higher up the the Three rankings teams. than <laughs> essentially anybody else you can mention. Well, he's a more sellable commodity than some of the other guys. He's also better. Well, than a lot of guys, yeah, but. I mean, it's also the fact that he's a sellable commodity. That, Like, for example, it, if I told you, Mike, you can watch Anthony Joshua versus Francis Ngannou to pay for the pay-per-view, will you watch it on March 8th? Would you? Yeah, I would. I mean, a heavyweight fight between two guys I've heard of? That hasn't happened in my lifetime. So I mean, then, that hasn't happened in the last... When was the last time two guys... I mean, I guess when... Um, uh, Tyson Fury fought uh, Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder, Wilder, yeah, those two. But other than those two fighting, I don't know two guys that you can tell me that most of the audience has heard of who matched up against each other. So then, if you would watch Ngannou fight Joshua, does Ngannou coming to the PFL interest you enough to tune in to when he fights there? Uh, probably not. I mean. So I don't know that I've ever seen a PFL fight, to be honest with you. And not that I'm like, like, I just, I'm not like hugely into the MMA world. A lot of it's because of the pay-per-view and then when it's on and all that stuff. I love a big fight. I like MMA. I will watch UFC, but I'm not like this hardcore, I have to watch kind of fan. Yeah. Well, I'm just asking because of the fact that, you know, part of the reason why the PFL brought him in was because they were hoping that he would draw people with him. I don't know if Engano's that big of a like draw though. I mean, he's a name recognizable. I don't know that he's. I but have you'll to watch him box next month. Oh, you said if I was getting it for free and whatever. That's what I'm saying that the PFL fight is free too. Yeah, but the boxing's not. No, it's on the zone. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm paying to watch him box. But if it was free, 
I would watch him box Joshua because I know both of those guys. I've heard of them both. So for you, it's not. Who's he fighting in uh, PFL? Well, he would fight. He's going to fight the winner between Ryan Bader and Henan Ferreira. Neither of who I know. So then you won't. Should I know them? Uh, you might know Ryan Bader. He used to be in UFC for a long time. Then he went to Bellator, became a two-belt champion there. So All right. Well, I will um, pass on that. If I had the fight for free, I would watch that. Sports right. Bash Live will wrap up the show. That's the big three for today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, get ready to get out of here. Flyers win last night, and don't forget time to level up your game day ritual, Flyers fans, with the ultimate power duo, Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. Cheer on the Flyers for the best-tasting vodka produced right here in Philly. Grab a Union Forge bottle today. Well, that's about it for me tonight. Uh, we got Sixers and Knicks. I'm actually kind of revved up for this game. They haven't played for a week. I want to see the team back to pretty much full health. No Melton tonight and obviously no Embiid, but everybody else is back. Nick Batum back, starting lineup tonight. He'll be in there. Uh, Nick Nurse said Heald will start tonight. By the way, Lowry is available tonight as well. So everybody should be available. And Nick Nurse said that between now and the end of the year, it's up for grabs for the off-guard spot between Heel, Lowry, Melton, and Kelly Oubre. So you got uh, some things here. But this is a big one tonight against the Knicks in Philly and on 97.3 ESPN. So looking forward to that. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Thanks to my guest today, John Marks from John Marks Media. Andrew DeCecco for Football at Four. The debut of Nick's Nuggets with Nick Earnshaw. He'll be back tomorrow with four or five or six more Nuggets. I don't know. Making a six back. And then Devon Gibbons from PHLY, uh, who's always really good. Looking forward um, to having him on board as the Sixers get ready for a playoff run. Holy moly. All right. Uh, Austin Krell, our Sixers insider, is coming up in about 25 minutes from now on game night to lead you into the Sixers and the Knicks. I'm Mike Gill, and this has been the Sports Bash. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.